It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. We have a great show. Tim Stevens is here. Harry McCracken, Christina Warren, three of my favorite people. And, of course, AI is the topic. It's an amazing world we live in and some of the new things that are happening with AI and some of the old things that maybe aren't so good. We'll talk about uh, the Microsoft quarterly results. Not so hot. Intel, the worst quarter in a long time. And about the Oscar campaign that took Twitter by storm and worked. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 912, recorded Sunday, January 29th, 2023. Let me consult my AI lawyer. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. With an innovative culture, thousands of IT engineers, application developers, unmatched labs, and integration centers for testing and deploying technology at scale. WWT helps customers bridge the gap between strategy and execution. To learn more about WWT, visit www.wt.com. And by... ACI Learning. Tech is one industry where opportunities outpace growth, especially in cybersecurity. One-third of information security jobs require a cybersecurity certification. To maintain your competitive edge across audit, IT, and cybersecurity readiness, visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. And by Bitwarden. Get the password manager that offers a robust and cost-effective solution that can drastically increase your chances of staying safe online. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. Thanks for listening to this show as an ad-supported network. We are always looking for new partners with products and services that will benefit our qualified audience. Are you ready to grow your business? Reach out to advertise at twit.tv and launch your campaign now. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show we cover the week's tech news. I'm just going to put a little black armband, if you don't mind, on the San Francisco 49ers gold <laughs> throwback jacket. That's life. Tim Stevens is here. Hello. Oh, that was Harry. Hello, Tim. Good to see you. Hey, Leo. Good to see you as well. Thank you for having me. Tim, uh, of course, has been on for many years. He is now a freelancer at Jalopnik and TechCrunch and Motor Trend and The Verge, and he has his very own Substack. Tim Stevens at Substack.com. Great article uh, on your visit to the Dakar rally in Saudi Arabia. Wow. Yeah, that was quite a trip. A really interesting um, social experience on a lot of levels, and uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, amazing event, and I've uh, been doing a lot of great travel lately, so I've been very lucky. Nice. Well, it's great to have you back. Not much ice racing. Thanks, Leo. Sadly not. Are you aware that Tim can't really be heard, at least by... You can't hear him? Not real, just barely. All right. Uh, hold on. We're not ready to begin yet. <laughs> oh, you have a little... Uh, well, we're, he's not... He doesn't have headphones on. So we can't do a bleed. I understand why we had the bleed. That's why there Harry, was the do you bleed. mind wearing no, headphones? I'm happy with whatever we will, works best. We can provide you with headphones. Sure. I apologize. No problem. 
Um, do you have some, uh, Burke? You can get them out of my office if you don't. Give him some nice ones. The good stuff. Give him good stuff. <laughs> Give him the good ones. I think there's an unopened box in my uh, cupboard on the left there. Give him some sterile headphones. I'm sorry, Harry. I, it's I okay. wasn't paying attention. Yeah, usually we I, use the bleed, but I think... I suddenly realized you might not be aware that I couldn't hear him. Yeah, that would be kind of a disadvantage to the overall <laughs> program. <laughs> be kind of a bad thing good nobody should hire D'Amico Ryans as a head coach that would be a terrible idea it's Lisa's birthday and I really wanted her to have a nice birthday happy birthday Lisa yeah. happy birthday Lisa it's also our anniversary because I foolishly thought if I if we got married on her birthday, I would only have to give her one gift. <laughs> you didn't think that. No, that wasn't why. You I just thought it'd be easier that. to remember. <laughs> one less, one fewer date <laughs> to remember, or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was fun. Unfortunately, the place we got married, Calistoga Ranch, has burned to the ground, and the wildfires mm-hmm. is gone. Oh so, no! Which makes me sad. She says, "Ah, it's life." I said, "Lisa, this." <laughs> No, because we we used to go there, in, you know, on our anniversary and stuff. And it was really nice. So, uh, but I've just learned that we had a caller from the new Kona Village, which is opening this summer in uh, Kona, Hawaii. I've just learned that that's reopening, and that's somewhere I've, I've always that was on my bucket list somewhere to stay. So, that's where Steve Jobs was staying when the iPhone four antenna gate happened, and mm. he didn't want to come back, but they made him come back. That's how good it is, I guess. <laughs> you, you know, there's no there at the time. There no TVs, no phones, no internet. It was like you were in a staying in a traditional Hawaiian hale. Sounds all right. <coughs> How's that? Good. Now you can hear, and you get the volume there, so you okay, can control that. that. Don't don't deafen yourself. Can you hear me, Harry? Harry, can you hear me? Harry, can you hear me? I can hear you because you're sitting next to me. Oh. It's <laughs> not a good test. Someone else needs to speak to you. One, two, can you, can you hear me? Are you receiving yes. me? Should I tell you what I have for breakfast this morning? Okay, good. All right. All right. Awesome. All right. I think we're good. Yay. All right. Here we go. Yes, yeah, someday we'll have four in the studio again. That has, ha- that has happened. Uh, Christina was here. But mm-hmm. I don't think we've had it. When was the last time we had an all-in-person show? It's been a, it's been a while. All right, starting over. You can hear. I can hear. <laughs> I think. <laughs> it's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news with a panel of fabulous people. I'll start over on my right with Mr. Tim Stevens. We haven't seen in a while. Freelance writer now. Uh, you you see Tim's uh, stuff all over the place. Jalopnik and TechCrunch and Motor Trend and The Verge. He also has his very own Substack called Around the Next Bend. Ooh-wee. I made it myself. All by your lonesome. <laughs> That's Thanks awesome. Thanks for having me, Leo. It's great to be here. No, it's great to see you. We missed you. Um, and lots of stuff to talk about. You uh, you just came back from D- Dakar and the uh, the Dakar Road Rally. And I loved your pictures, but it's a, it was an interesting mixed, I guess, mixed bag of uh, experiences. 
Yeah, yeah, thanks. It was a great trip to Saudi Arabia. I learned a lot of things, both good and bad. Yeah. Also with us in studio, because COVID is over. No. Harry McCracken, <laughs> global tech editor at Fast Company, fingers crossed. Hello, Harry. Good to see you. Nice to actually see you in person. Yay. And you brought your wonderful wife, Marie, with you. Great to I see you indeed. all. She has custody of uh, Lily, the uh, the Twitch pet. She will be taking <laughs> Lily home with us, I'm sure. Uh, Lily is about the best <laughs> dog you ever saw in your life, Burke's dog. But uh, she lives here. Well, I shouldn't say that because I think it's in our lease. She's not allowed to spend any time here. But <laughs> shh, I didn't say that. I don't think the landlord watches Twit. Uh, <laughs> also, great to see Christina Warren from GitHub. Last time you were in studio, senior dev yeah. advocate over there at GitHub. Good to see you. Glad to be here. You made the move this week uh, when Ivory came out. TapBots was one of the third-party apps that Mr. Musk clobbered at first without warning, then with a lie saying, uh, you've been violating the rules. For 15 years? You just noticed? Finally, they said, oh, they retroactively changed the rules. No third parties. Uh, but that wasn't enough to push you to Mastodon. Ivory was the thing that did it. TapBots uh, was a very, very nice, or TweetBot, rather, was a very nice uh, Twitter client from TapBots. And Ivory is basically TweetBot for Mastodon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and honestly, it was kind of a combination of things. It was that. That was, I think, really kind of the final straw. Also, as a lot of people have um, commented on, my posts don't show up in people's feeds, and I don't see replies, and I don't see other people's posts. And so the whole experience was becoming degraded. And then not only did I have, I have like Ivory, which was great, but there's Ice Cubes, which is a great open I source I like Ice client. Cubes a lot. There's yeah. Elf. It's also great. Ice Cubes is fantastic. There's there's Elk.Zone, which is a great web interface. There um, are I've actually ha- have a GitHub list that I've been making of different there, cool. This is the beauty of open source and an, and an open standard. You can, anybody can develop, and they can't cut you off. Right, right, and and so um, and I've already got it. Like about you know, there will be some people who follow me on Mastodon who didn't follow me on Twitter, but about ten percent of you know the followers that I had on Twitter now on Mastodon, which not bad, you know, for, for four or five days in. So a lot of people um, are reporting increased engagement, even though there are fewer followers on Mastodon. I've certainly yeah. noticed that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the quality mm-hmm. is high. I have two. Yeah. I think no, that, no, that it will change over time. Right. Like I think that as more people join, you will see less of that high signal to noise. But right now I totally agree. Like I'm definitely seeing higher, higher engagement, higher quality. It's, it's pretty clear that Elon has decided to, uh, heavily algorithmatize the feed on Twitter. He's, a, he's even said, you pay eight bucks and more people will see you. And I think he's, I don't know why he thinks eight bucks f- from uh, a few hundred million at best users is going to make enough money to pay for Twitter but uh, and the loss of ad revenue, but he's doing whatever he can. And uh, that's the problem, though, is that it then tells people, oh, uh, you know, I'm nobody's nobody's engaging with me. I don't want to be here. So you're driving off your creators. Actually, Corey Doctorow wrote a good uh, story about this this week. Uh, I it's an impolite title, so I'm going to say TikTok's <laughs> insurtification, uh, using the good places uh, euphemism for that word. Um, it I thought was quite insightful. As usual, Corey made something that's 
you know, been around and obvious to all of us, crystal clear, put in words that a light bulb goes off. He says, here's how platforms die. First, they're good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves. Then they die. <laughs> and he gives an example, Amazon, which was customer first, customer first. And then, uh, you know, as the, as the customer base got locked in with a variety of techniques like Amazon Prime and DRM and so forth, then they said, all right, now businesses, businesses. And then the marketplace, 50% of Amazon sales are in the marketplace, third-party sellers. But they got locked in even though they lose 45% of revenue to Amazon and fees. And now... Amazon says, screw you, you're locked in. <laughs> and they start monetizing. Uh, he says the company's $31 billion, and he puts it in quotes, advertising program is really a payola scheme that pits sellers against each other, forcing them to bid on the chance to be at the top of your search. But what ultimately happens is you've insurtified your platform to the point where no one wants to use it anymore. Uh, this is very clearly where Elon is. Twitter at first was all about the users. They couldn't figure out how to monetize it. Then they got brands to go there. In fact, that's one of the reasons all of us were there, right? That's the best. You have to be there to promote your brand, to, to build your audience. Then once they got them locked in, now they can say, hey, if you want to reach that audience, which we own, it'll be $8, uh, please. But you do that at the risk of driving people like Christina uh, away. He's talking about, the, in this article, particularly about TikTok doing this. Uh, but it happens to every one of these companies. His position, which I really agree with, is, you know, that's this is the way it is. And you just move. You go to the next thing. You leave MySpace for Facebook. You leave Facebook for somewhere else. But what we need regulation for is to make sure it's as friction-free as possible to move, to avoid the lock-in. You need interoperability. You need to make it easy to move somewhere else, and then, then you can let the market, you can let the market rule. Uh, he says, as I said at the start of this essay, this is towards the end. Insurtification exerts a nearly irresistible gravity on platform capitalism. Uh, you know, the staff, the executives, the shareholders. Eventually, they all say, "No, you got to insurtify. We need the money." Um, but even the most locked in user eventually reaches a breaking point and walks away or, or gets pushed. Um, in individual product managers, executives, activists, shareholders all give preference to quick returns at the cost of sustainability. And they're in a race to see who can, I love, I love Corey, eat their seed corn first. <laughs> and certification has only lasted for as long as it has because the internet has devolved into five giant websites each filled with screenshots of the other four. Gary's, Gary's, Gary's getting a little little cranky uh, in, in his old age. I don't know. Uh, insurtification kills. Google just laid off 12,000. And the company's in a full-blown panic over the rise of AI chatbots. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts, Tim? I, I, I definitely, you know, the, the pattern is very clear and we've certainly seen it before. What's missing, though, I think, is the actual death of these platforms. I, I think, you know, Twitter is certainly struggling and I think a lot of us are, are kind of 
thinking that his days are numbered, but it's still incredibly huge, incredibly popular. And as Musk loves to say, you know, engagement numbers are up because everyone's kind of watching the dumpster fire smolder. So um, I think it's a little too early to say that Amazon has died, that that Google has died, that Twitter has died. Uh, and so I think that's the piece of the pattern that's uh, that's missing in this case, for better or for worse. We certainly there are, of course, plenty of companies. And this is, by the way, not just tech companies, any company with any consumers. There are plenty of companies in that graveyard. Uh, we're in the process of watching these companies move in that direction. But you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine Google going away. Facebook, yeah. maybe it's not so hard to imagine. Although um, Facebook's latest data on uh, engagement since they started pushing videos from people I don't even follow into my feed, apparently that's actually working, at least right now, in terms of engagement. The AI they're using to put videos in front of you actually does seem to determine stuff that people will watch. And so it's um, the numbers are a little encouraging lately, especially given how um, um, you know how little good news Facebook has had any front mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Christina, is, does this process end with the end of Twitter or does Twitter just kind of drag on? Well, it can, it can be both, right? Um, and we've seen both because we've definitely seen social networks just go under and, and just disappear. And that has happened. Google Plus is a great example of that where obviously, you know, Google put a lot of money and a lot of effort into that and it failed. And then they just shut it down and got rid of all the archives even, which I actually thought that was not a great move to not even keep the public archives available. Um, but, but that was like a, a high profile uh, failure. There've been other ones, but then you also have instances where they continue to kind of stick around until they're sold and, and deleted and whatnot. MySpace being a great example of that, where, you know, that has now had God only knows how many owners and um, uh, people trying to use that very worthless at this point, email list of, of, of users. But MySpace, you know, was bigger than Facebook up until about 2009, I want to say. And then you started seeing a really big migration of people from MySpace to Facebook uh, to the point that, that MySpace just kind of became a dead zone, except for a very specific niche of people. Um, and that wasn't really unlike LiveJournal and GeoCities and, 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 some, and Tumblr and, and some other things, it wasn't really because of any policy changes that MySpace made. It was just because the masses were all on Facebook. And, uh, it, you know, Twitter is interesting because, as Tim says, it's still this giant place. Um, I think that what will potentially be pushing people off of it is less the alternatives and more when the overall experience becomes degraded, whether because more toxicity is there or, you know, just because you, you can't, you're having errors in your feed, you know, you're not able to post things the right way. You can't refresh as quickly. You don't see all of your replies. You know, um, that's the sort of thing that makes people go, okay, why am I investing time in this? Um, and, and arguably you could say that the, the demise of Twitter started probably, you know, 2016, ironically, when its engagement was higher, when you started to see a lot of the, the previous like high profile users of Twitter leave the platform for Instagram and then later, you know, TikTok. Um, but you, you stop seeing the celebrities on Twitter. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those, what's the um, uh, neologism? Like it happens, you know, slowly and then all at once. I think yeah. that's, it's that's like the uh, collapse of the Hemingway. Roman, 
Uh, Gib- Gib- Gibbons said it first. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said it about somebody going bankrupt, but I think it was Gibbons who said the Roman Empire collapsed slowly at first and then suddenly. <laughs> and then it's been applied to a lot of things. Uh, you're right. Although Instagram seems to be quite suddenly collapsing in on itself. Am, yeah, am I wrong? Totally. Well, again, to- you're not. And, and I think Instagram was one of those interesting ones where if they had just stuck to their guns, like when they copied uh, Snapchat, that was brilliant because they did stories better than Snapchat did. They had a bigger audience and, and they added some features that made it better. So that was like a perfect example of copying the right way. With TikTok, I think they just have fundamentally misunderstood their audience and have misunderstood that it's a completely different um, expectation. And if they wanted to create a TikTok compete, they should have created an app called Instagram Reels that I bet would have been very popular. Um, but you know, by, by loading it down with stuff that people you don't follow, people you're not even necessarily interested in, um, an algorithm that is not as good as TikToks, and then you don't even see, you know, your friends' photos, the whole reason why people are there to begin with. Yeah, I I spend a lot less time on on Instagram because I'm like, what's the point? I I used to come here for a specific reason. Now this isn't there. And even worse, it's a watered-down version of this other thing that already exists. But we are uh, creatures of habit, and uh, you're right, Tim. These things don't die, but they don't exactly thrive. There will be something right. called Twitter 10 years from now. Yeah. It's just not entirely clear whether mm-hmm. anyone will go there's that at all. There's still a MySpace. I, think, I believe there's still a mm-hmm. Friendster. Uh, yeah. By the way, I'm sorry. Sun also rises. It was Hemingway. You I th- win. I thought it was Fitzgerald, you win in too, and I, and, but I recently realized it wasn't. <laughs> it was, yeah. but maybe it seems it, like a Fitzgerald quote. But maybe it? he stole it from Gibbon. <laughs> I think Gibbon said it first, but I might be wrong on that as well. How did you go bankrupt? Two ways. Gradually. Then suddenly, <laughs> how did you collapse? Brilliant. Two ways, <laughs> gradually, then suddenly. Um, this actually I leads promise. into this. There are tributaries off of this into a lot of the stories that we're talking about uh, these days. Uh, and I don't want to do another Elon Musk filled uh, uh, twit, so we're not. Everybody's going, oh, thank God. I thought he was going to start talking about Elon. Uh, but really, it's about companies in general going through this this business cycle. CNET, your former employer, Tim Stevens, Mm. uh, has been accused of some interesting shenanigans. We had Connie Guglielmo on two weeks ago, right when this was breaking. Remember the 75 stories an AI had written in their personal finance section? Uh, She said, well, these are stories no reporter wants to write. You know, the kind of the basic boring stories. We had the AI write a first draft and then an editor look at it. Fin- correct it, finish it, and then put it out. But now it's coming out that, in fact, there were far more errors that were not corrected, that a lot of the content wasn't very good, and that perhaps CNET has been using it more than just those 75 articles. She said, yeah, and well, we've used for years, as many publications do, uh, programs to put in stock prices. That, I mean, I don't. that's not using AI to write a story. There's a very different uh, thing there. I don't, I don't blame them for that. The Verge, though, has been really... <laughs> kind of hammering on CNET. I don't know. Maybe they have a uh, vested interest in in, in knocking down a competitor. I, I don't know. But they're accusing uh, CNET of doing something a little bit more nefarious. Remember, CNET was sold to an uh, equity uh, capital company called uh, Red Ventures. And, Tim, you have some probably direct experience uh, with this. A bit. Yes, I do. <clears throat> and, and what always <laughs> happens with these acquisitions uh, is that the equity uh, capital companies uh, raise a lot of debt 
to acquire these companies. So they're saddled with big debt. And boy, you look at it across it's the corporate landscape these days, heavily encumbered companies owning these companies. So a lot of debt. So there's pressure on them from both their shareholders and their and their lenders to kind of monetize. So these companies very often uh, either sell off pieces of the company that they bought or attempt to monetize it, as Elon is doing with Twitter. The Verge is accusing CNET and Red Ventures of, of and by the way, Red Ventures also owns uh, a number of sites like The Point Sky, uh, Bankrate, and CreditCards.com, which are sites that make their money through affiliate, credit card affiliate fees. And uh, The Verge is accusing them, in effect, of turning CNET into that kind of site with auto-generated link bait articles designed to rank highly in searches uh, that they can then monetize with ads or affiliate fees. Uh, bank rate and credit cards have also published AI-written articles about credit cards with ads for credit cards nestled within. Uh, it turns out the same guy responsible for this at bank rate and credit cards is responsible for it at CNET, Lance Davis, vice president of content at Red Ventures. Uh, and I think there's an interesting accusation here that Red Ventures is basically taking this venerable, highly respected name in technology journalism and turning it into an SEO farm. Tim, I'll give you the uh, chance to mention either to recuse <laughs> yourself uh, or to uh, uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah, no pressure. Uh, obviously, I need to be a little bit careful uh, with what I say here, be both because uh, this is my former employer we're talking about, and because there are, I have a lot of friends and a lot of people who I respect. Well, that's uh, greatly uh, worth and, and I should which say is that really important to say. So many people, including Connie, that I love and respect and honor. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame CNET for this one. I think this comes from Red Ventures. Well, so my my take on this is a little bit complicated. Uh, I, I do think that. Um, you know, clearly The Verge um, has an interest in making CNET look bad. They're competitors. That's fine. Uh, I don't think, but I don't think that anything that The Verge has reported thus far from what I've seen has been inaccurate. I, I want to say f one thing for sure. I wasn't aware of any of this AI stuff that was going on when I was there. I left CNET around August of last year. There was kind of rumors and talk and that kind of thing, but I wasn't aware of anything going on. So I have no insider knowledge about how any of this came to pass. But I, I will say that CNET was using tools like Wordsmith and others. Uh, and those are tools that a lot of outlets use. A lot of publications use those. And basically what they do is they help you optimize the content that you're writing to make sure that they include the right keywords to make sure that they are, um, you know, that they perform well in an algorithm-based environment. And that is really what consumers are operating within right now. Anyone who goes on the internet and searches for a thing is asking an algorithm, what thing should I read? And so it's only natural for publications to want to make sure that their content performs as well as possible. Uh, the thing is, when you use a tool like that, it can begin to feel like you are basically reverse engineering uh, Google. You're reverse engineering a search engine. And that's really what this game comes down to. It's and AI Leo, talking to AI, isn't it? Right, right. And that's what we were talking about before, Leo. At some point, you know, what's the best tool to optimize content for an algorithm? It would be another algorithm, effectively. And so I, I think, by extension, it's a natural thing that CNET would do this. I don't think anybody would be surprised that CNET... Well, especially being one of the, when there's financial pressure to turn around a big acquisition, right? Maybe so, but I think that the timing is a little bit irrelevant here. I mean, CNET has definitely been on the cutting edge of a lot of different publication types over the years, whether it be integrated... Um, affiliate links, things like that, they've definitely been at the bleeding edge. So there's no surprise that they would be at the bleeding edge of adopting AI technology. My concern really is that 
there wasn't enough transparency involved here. And I think that's what, what my problem is. If CNET had come out and said, hey, we're experimenting with AI. This is kind of fun and new. We don't really know what this is going to be, but here's what we're trying. This is where we're trying it on. This is some content that was written by AI. What do you think? Uh, I think that this would have been, I'm sure that they would have gotten some blowback for sure. But from what I could see from my perspective in reading through coverage on The Verge and elsewhere, um, it just seemed like it was they were hoping that nobody would notice. Uh, and I feel like that's really the wrong way to go about doing yeah. this. If you're going to be embracing this kind of technology or investing in it, especially when you're talking about giving people recommendations about where they should put their money in a mortgage, uh, I think it's important to be incredibly transparent. And, and, you know, Connie's piece was very transparent, but that came out long after the story had, had kind of blown up, long after the Verges piece. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate that that scene wasn't more upfront with um, with with what was going on beyond the scenes. There was certainly, you know, we saw the little disclaimers on Google and things like that. Um, but that was, that, in my opinion, was not enough. And that uh, that's where I'm disappointed in this whole thing. Yeah, and I don't blame Connie at all, or uh, even Lindsay Turrentine, also who's been a regular uh, on this show for many years. I think I have huge respect for both of them. Yeah, uh, if well. anything, I feel like they might have been sandbagged uh, by this, and they didn't know the full extent of what was going on, and uh, ended up being, uh, you know, uh, kind of hung out to dry, so to speak. The Verge quotes a former CNET employee saying Red Ventures was using automated technology for content long before the AI byline began cropping up in November. They mentioned this wordsmith tool, which you talked about, Tim, nicknamed Morgotron, <laughs> or Morgo, I don't know how you pronounce that, Morgotron internally because of its use in mortgage stories. Uh, they said it had been used for at least a year and a half, but the siloed natures of the teams across CNET and Red Ventures makes it difficult for journalists at the site to understand the chain of command, who's using what tools and when. So I uh, no blame on uh, our friends at CNET. Um, I'm I'm very happy, frankly, to blame <laughs> Red Ventures <laughs> and any equity capital company because I feel like these guys are to some degree the bane of uh, the ex of, of our existence. But, but it's not just it's not just VC firms that that are pushing co companies to use this kind of content. A lot of editorial properties use SEO optimization tools. If if you want to perform, if you want to be in the first page yeah. on a Google search, you have to be using these tools. So I know a lot of automotive properties are using them. This is not, you know, proprietary software. This is stuff that you can go out and license that anybody can use. I'll tell you what keywords that you need to inject into your content. And again, it, it, it does make you feel like you're reverse engineering as you're writing. But this is not proprietary stuff. Yeah. Well, also, in a way, that's scarier. If it's if it's even more widespread use that we don't know about. I mean, I think there, but for the grace of God, goes everybody in the media business. Not and, uh, not us. <laughs> we haven't figured well, out a way to do oh, that yet with podcasts. Uh, over the course, not not immediately, but over the course of time, I, th I think you will see AI play a role um, a lot more, particularly as um, some of the issues CNET ran into. Um, are less of an issue, and also, I mean, they see that probably made a lot of mistakes, so the rest of us don't have to, and can learn from them in terms of disclosure. Um, but I feel like, uh, well, we're not doing any of this, and have no plans to do this, and in fact, it might not really work well for us. Anyhow, I, I would not say that um, uh, at Fast Company will never use AI in any form, because I think things are going to happen quite quickly, and there might be ways to use it, which are actually completely above board and reasonable and result in, in better content rather than just cheaper content. Uh, I, somebody said, I'm trying to find the article, that chat GPT is the absolute definition of BS. Yes. Because 
and and chat and by the way, OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT, GPT say this. They say we never said you had to be accurate. That's not in the training at all. It has no idea what it's saying and whether it's correct or not. Sometimes it happens to be accurate, but that's not what the technology is. It's an does. accident if it happens to be accurate almost, right? Uh, <laughs> I did a piece. I have a new newsletter, which I should plug at the end of the oh, show. Oh, yes. Plug it now. Uh, it's called Plugged In. And if you go to our uh, Fast Company homepage, there should be a newsletters link that will let you subscribe. Nice. And I, um, because I'm interested in the history of cartoons, I asked ChatGPT what the first TV cartoon was. And every time I asked, it would give a different answer. Many of them very convincing and none of them correct. Um, there, basically, there are so many things where ChatGPT has no idea what it's saying. And unless you already know what the answer is, you, you might well be fooled because it, it is able to lie in such a conv convincing fashion. But it's important to understand that that's not its mandate to tell the truth no. or to be accurate. It's not, it's, a, it's not a fact generator. It's, it's a BS generator. It's, it's really good at stringing words together. You call it a glib bot, which I think is a very good <laughs> very, from now on. I'm calling it a glib bot. Uh so, in a way, then, it makes you wonder, should we be, you know, uh, your company, GitHub, and you can you can disclaim this yes. uh, again, uh, I know you have nothing to do with Stratina, but is getting a little heat right now from the open source community over its AI sure. uh, code generator, Copilot, which is kind of impressive. Copilot also uses, we should mention, the same open AI technology as ChatGPT. It is using GPT. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I can't comment on any of the, the lawsuits or any of that stuff, but uh, Copilot does use the, the GPT-3, 3.5, um, you know, um, mm -hmm. a, a, a large language model that ChatGPT is based on. It uses something called Codex, which is specifically focused on source code rather than, you know, uh, the, the corpus that, that ChatGPT uses, which is much more broad. But if you use ChatGPT to say, write me a program that does this, this, and this, um, most of his data set is probably coming from... from yeah, because ChatGPT can write code. In fact, one of the stories yeah. we had on Security Now is that <laughs> script kitties are having ChatGPT write effective malware. Uh, I mean, malware that works. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know uh, uh, somebody who used ChatGPT to write a PowerShell script for Steve on Security Now that looked through your last pass vault and told you some of its attributes and it worked and it was a lot easier to develop it because chat and I guess copilot Co be even better. Now, clearly with copilot, unlike chat GPT, there must be some rules in there to say, Oh, and by the way, make sure this isn't made up that it actually works. Right. Um, for the most part, I mean, there are suggestions that you can get that will not run. So it is, that's why we call it co-pilot. It's not do it for you. It's your co-pilot. Mm. It's, you know, um, autofill and suggestions, you know, uh, plus one, right? So, and the more that you use it, the more that it gets to know your code, it does get to know kind of uh, your style and your intent, and it can give you better and better suggestions for what you're doing. But no, you can absolutely, the same way, you know, you could get a wrong, you know, suggestion, you could get... Um, you know, or a, 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 a wrong, I guess, a paragraph from ChatGPT, you could get some incorrect code suggestions. For the most part, though, I think that the, the training model there is a little bit better because it is, is you know, focused more on, on one thing rather than, you know, however great the corpus is uh, for, for everything that ChatGPT is doing. And, and as I said, it is learning based on your own style and, and the stuff that is, is in your project folder. Um, but no, I mean, this is why I, I always tell people, look, uh, Copilot is amazing and it has saved me so much time, especially with boilerplate stuff. But if you're trying to use it to just 
you think you can just automate it to write a program for you, you might get lucky if it's something really simple, like a you know, PowerShell script or something like that. Um, but you uh, you really need to have a, a better idea of what you're doing so that you can actually see what code it's suggestion, su- suggesting and then make edits if that needs to be the case. But even if you still need to make edits, I think there's still value there because it can save you, um, you know, a, a lot of time of, of having to, you know, manually Google and, and uh, you know, command C, command V from, from Stack Overflow or, or wherever. Yeah, people, well, and that's the, uh, uh, every programmer knows this, but maybe a lot of uh, civilians don't, that almost all code is to some degree or another copied and pasted from somebody else. Uh, uh, that's kind of how it works. Uh, so Copilot right. is a natural way to do this. Copilot's quite impressive. It's quite amazing. Here's the uh, story from, the early, from earlier this month by Checkpoint Research, a malware uh, research uh, company. They call it Opone AI. Cyber criminals starting to use chat GPT. In Checkpoint's research, uh, previous blog, we described how chat GPT successfully conducted a full infection flow from creating a convincing spear phishing email to running a reverse shell capable of accepting commands in English, uh, that's pretty scary. Uh, this is a case uh, of uh, something called InfoStealer, which was created uh, late last year by ChatGPT, uh, a, a cyber criminal showing how he used ChatGPT to write the code. Looks like JavaScript. Uh, a hard-coded, it had, had to write code to basically steal files from a, a FTP server, um, it's it's kind of amazing what they're doing. One of the things that really becomes obvious is this is a conversation a year ago we might not have had. This has happened all of a sudden out of nowhere. And you can imagine we're not that far away from these AIs being able to emulate. Well, I mean, they can already do very compelling voice work. So how far are they from being to emulate your voice, your mom's voice, uh, and make up a call and then say, "Hey, you know, uh, it's, it's your mom. I forgot my password. Can you can you tell me?" My oh yeah, password? I think I that's know. already. I'm sure that's um, already. Uh, that should be doable happening. right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there is a generative AI music already. It's not. I don't think it's quite there yet. This is a paper from Google Research. They call it Music LM. It's based on large language model like Lambda, generating music from a text prompt. Here is uh, the main soundtrack of, this is the prompt, the main soundtrack of an arcade game. It is fast-paced and upbeat. We didn't check my audio. Do you, uh, Do you? I think we'll, we'll try it. Turn my audio on. I want to play this song. It's fast-paced and upbeat with a catchy electric guitar riff. The music is repetitive and easy to remember with unexpected sounds like cymbal crashes or drum rolls. Does this sound like an arcade game to you? Maybe the... Uh, front screen the attack motor maybe sonic is running down the that's completely ai generated although apparently it's generated by an ai that does a fair amount of plagiarizing which is why uh, oh yeah it's google totally is not released releasing to the yeah, public yet. totally plagiarizing. here's um a slow tempo bass and drums led reggae song Yeah, man. Everybody get together. We're going down to the beach. No, no. Ant says no to that one. <laughs> I don't 
seems like it has the potential to blow away the stock music industry pretty quickly. <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot better than the crap stock music we, we, we've yeah. been using. And um, it won't be stock music. <laughs> you, you'll be able to generate something unique to your own. 280,000 hours of real music uh, is the training model to generate uh, coherent songs for descriptions of significant complexity, as the creators put it. Um, you want to you feel like you're lost in space, Ant? Ant is becoming our, uh, our taste tester. Let's see if Ant agrees this is. Sounds like an AI did it, doesn't it? Sounds like robot music. Now, here's the question. Can we get taken down from YouTube for playing that? <laughs> you may get sued by a bot. Oh, see, that's good. That, no, that's well, that's going to be the interesting thing. I think actually um, who owns you're able to generate these unique things. Right. Well, that that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it becomes a very interesting question, which is, you know, I think that this YouTube um, it, it relies on someone else being able to say, I have. You know, the copyright of this and, and usually have like a, a file register someplace that their, uh, you know, uh, content ID can go and find the same thing. But if it's a uniquely original file, then content ID is not going to find it. So that's what a world we live in. That's cool. What a world. But do you think there might be some uh, cool stuff that might happen if actual human musicians work yes. with some of these tools to brainstorm and, yes. and riff on ideas? I mean, it seems like that could be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm sure it's happening right no, now. I, no, exactly. I mean, I, honestly, I think that the way that, and I know that a lot of creators are really freaked out by generative art and and generative music and, and all this stuff, and, and I understand the fear. But for me, what excites me about this is that the best AI art that I've seen has been from actual artists. Like, those are the people who've been using the best prompts or have been yeah, taken some of the prompts sense. and have taken some of the results and have then made really great things. And I think with music, it's the exact same way, right? Like, you might be able to get something that sounds slightly better than, than than stock music, but it's still not going to be great, right? It's going to take a real artist to then take that and edit it and interpolate it and do what real artists have always done and turn it into something else. And and so the what I've tried to, been trying to tell people, because this isn't going away, this whatever your feelings on on this stuff is, it's not going away and it's only going to become bigger we can have conversations about ethics and we should we can have conversations about safety rails and we should but this is not going away and so what i've been the conversation i've been having with people for the last year or so is like embrace this as a tool to your arsenal to make new unique and better things rather than looking at this as some sort of existential threat because you're not going to outpace this this is not going to be something that you can get away from but it might be something that if you are able to use you could actually enhance, you know, the, the stuff that you that you do naturally. And, and that goes for writers as well. Last week, Brianna Wu, who was on the show, her husband writes uh, science fiction, among many other uh, things, said that Frank was stuck with a story that he was, I think he was writing for Analog, but he was stuck with a story and uh, he gave a very extensive prompt to ChatGPT, which wrote kind of a mediocre story, but came up with a lot of things that became a starting point for him and unstuck him. And that seems like that's a very good use of something like Chat GPT. Um, I've heard so many descriptions. I love, I love, uh, I love your name uh, for it. What is it, GlibPT? <laughs> uh, Glibbot, I guess. Glibbot. I didn't re I like remember. Glibbot. I wrote that. Glibbot. Yeah, that's good. Like that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I've also heard it say uh, the ultimate mansplainer because it because it's confidently <laughs> wrong, right? 
It's, it's, and it's so confident. It's a little it's so patronizing. Confident. It's like, oh, no, let me explain to you how the world works. Although if you tell it that it's wrong, then it gets really humble and, it and apologizes, and apologizes yeah. at great length and says it'll never do it again. Does it correct itself? If you correct it, does it stay correct? Yes. And in fact, some, if it says something that's correct and you tell it that it's wrong, it will apologize for that, too. <laughs> Stephen Wolfram wrote a very good piece uh, about how confidently wrong chat gpt is on things that wolfram alpha his uh his own kind of ai is it an ai i don't know what you call wolfram alpha a search engine for knowledge or something um but he said if we should partner because we we're good at getting the math right which chat gpt is terrible at. <laughs> and then if we worked if we work together we maybe get something out of it he pointed out some really hysterical examples. This is his article uh, from his blog uh, at stephenwolfram.com. Some hysterical examples of just chat TPT getting it terribly wrong. How far is Chicago from Tokyo? To which chat GPT confidently says, the distance from Chicago, Illinois to Tokyo, Japan is approximately 7,600 miles. That would be 12,200 kilometers. It's a very long distance, blah, 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 blah. Turns out it's not even close. It's 6,313 miles. So... You correct it. So you, you you tell it, and it says, thank you for correcting me. You're correct. <laughs> of course, <it's, laughs> the distance is 6,313 miles. Uh, how far is Chicago to Tokyo? And then it gets it right, at least in that continued conversation. Uh, I think that's interesting. It, but kids, don't, don't do your math homework with chat GPT. Stick to Wolfram Alpha because it doesn't even know three to the power of 73, which is pretty pathetic not, saw by the way not even close <laughs> it said 14 billion uh, i can't say how big the number is it's a lot larger <laughs> there was that story about chat gpt passing an mba exam yeah but, but the article which said it also pointed out that it wasn't capable of doing like high school math which uh, right. i found interesting because i was well many I, mbas can't do right, high school. I, I didn't realize you could become an mba without having high school math but um yeah. um I think it just passed a law I mean, school exam too, didn't it? This is now the new thing is for professors to give their exams sort of. to chat GPT. There was, there, there was a paper that, that um, a couple of the somebody from the University of Chicago and someone else did with a GPT passing the bar and they gave it part of um, the multiple choice parts of the bar exam and it did better than random selection and it came close to humans in a couple of categories. It got and a C plus. Passing, but it's not like it, <laughs> right. It didn't quite pass. But it is. It is, But it is impressive because the interesting thing though was that it did significantly better than random selection. Like it wasn't one of those things where you know you're just randomly you know okay how would you have done if you were just randomly selecting the answer? So it it had some um, you know better um, accuracy and in some categories it was close to humans, but. Uh, obviously, this is only for the multiple choice parts, and it, it did better in certain areas than others. Uh, but, I mean, to me, all this really says is, okay, then you, if your big concern, whether it's you know, high school students or, or you know, um, uh, graduate students, you know, and, and, and professionals taking tests, if your big concern is the AI cheating at the test, well, then you need to start changing how you're testing. You're obviously not testing the right things. Like, that, to me, is the big takeaway. We shouldn't be freaked out that you know, the, these, uh, these AIs are, are able to pass the test. It's more like, okay, well, what's the goal of this? And are we testing the right way? And I think in most cases, the answer would be no, we're not testing the right way. Yeah, maybe that's the flaw of the tests. Although, uh, as you point out, ChatGPT doesn't do math uh, very well. It's good in constitutional law. 
<laughs> How long do we think it'll be but until ChatGPT is our uh, public defender and that you need to pay extra if you want uh, a human to uh, to defend you in a, in a lawsuit? Uh, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the guy who was like a Black Mirror. The, the guy who was uh, doing the robot lawyer, I think, has just decided yeah. to run run away with his yes. tail between his legs because yes. so do not pay yeah. which is Good. a very actually a really cool service which helps you get out of traffic tickets created an ai powered robot lawyer uh that was going to go into court i don't know you know first of all i think any judge that would throw it out immediately yeah. was going to go into court to help uh, fight a traffic ticket uh state bar prosecutors threatened the uh, uh joshua browder as the ceo of do not pay with jail time <laughs> and so Joshua says, uh, we're postponing our court case and we're going to stick to consumer rights. <laughs> well, okay. oh, totally. Well, that's well, well, this is the whole thing, right? It's like, could it maybe, but like, do you, do you think that there, of, of any profession, do you, can you think of any class of profession who would be less likely to allow this yeah. into, in, in, yeah. in no, like, like the, the, <laughs> e, e, even if you could, potentially uh, automate things and, and do things better than like your typical public defender. Do you really think that the, the, um, you know, the uh, bar association and, and, and the various lobbying groups for, for lawyers, do you really think that they would allow this in their courtrooms? Absolutely not. They're going to protect their own interests above and beyond more than any other industry. They're going to be the ones who are like, Nope, not, not happening. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. If you're going to pick an, an industry to disintermediate, do podcasters don't do lawyers you know we're we're pushovers exactly. be a lot easier to go after us um your company microsoft just to acknowledge that they're putting in a they already put a billion dollars in they were one of the founders of mm -hmm. OpenAI, and now they have a, a a even better deal with OpenAI. the rumor was 10 uh, additional 10 billion dollars i think that was confirmed by Satya Nadella uh over a period of time obviously and that ChatGPT or that kind of technology will be used in uh, Microsoft Office, but I think a number of people are saying the real, the real thing to watch is Bing. Mm -hmm. Thoughts about that? I know. Yeah, and you work at. Co uh, co I work at GitHub. GitHub, so so you know, which is owned by Microsoft. Opinions of my own. Look, I think this is exciting. I think that you know, there's also been reporting that the Google's been having kind of like a a, a crisis about how successful ChatGPT has been. And I, I don't blame them because Google has amassed, um, you know, and this is not in any way to try to denigrate any other company, but but they have probably amassed like the largest uh, quantity of, of AI talent from academia and, and from industry of anyone. And the fact that it was ChatGPT, which was interesting to me about that is that it wasn't really that demonstrably different from any of the other GPT-3 things that have been available. It was just the interface that I think made it so accessible has become this very mainstream thing where, you know, I've been thinking and have talk, been talking about, you know, open AI stuff for several years, but now this is a mainstream thing because the interface was, was so ripened. And um, yeah, I, de I definitely think that search is a great area where it could be helpful. People have created extensions to add, you know, chat GPT, um, things alongside Google results, and it's better. And and I think that you know Google results. I, I, Google is the primary search engine that I that I use, and the results have gotten worse over time. Um, and, and I don't think that it's because of uh, the the SEO stuff. I think it's because Google has optimized for different sorts of results, and they've 
you know, wanted to highlight other things. And so I often end up typing Reddit into my search yes. because I find that I yeah, get much I better well. results mm-hmm. from, yes. from, from, from Reddit than I do. Because uh, those you are know, re- because but, but what you're searching- really doing is asking for information from real experts about a topic, right? Right. Or, 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 or I know I just want to actually get the conversation, like yeah. the info where it's actually going to be. But searching reddit.com is, is a mess. So searching Google for yeah. a query and then adding Reddit to it is, is, is a good alternative. But people have created, you know, like kind of uh, side-by-side extensions to add, you know, ChatGPT stuff to Google things. And, and I think that, yeah, this is an opportunity for Bing. I think is an opportunity for a lot of consumer products. Um, obviously, uh, one of the big wins here is for for Azure, for, you know, other businesses who want to take advantage of those models and build it into their um, their products, having kind of AI as a service. I think, uh, you know, look, this is going to be hot. Everybody's going to be, this is going to become an arms race, right? Um, even more than it already has been. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, you know, open AI has been the first to really, commercialize this in a way that the mainstream understands and um it's exciting i mean personally as a technologist to me uh all, all the other kind of fears we might have around it like i look at this as a moment of this is this is exciting like to me this is much more the next big thing versus the metaverse like this is much more exciting I to agree. me and seems totally. much more tangible as to mm-hmm. what the next big place of computing is going to be forget about the metaverse stuff the the ai stuff is is i think cool <laughs> really what's exciting. Open AI has less to lose than a Google or a Microsoft. Well, that's why Open AI was created, really, right? These are enormous Mm -hmm. companies with enormous customer bases. And they're doing it in secret. And and reputations and and paying customers and Open AI um, um, not having any of that stuff. Why why not throw it out into the public and see what happens? Although Jan LeCun, who uh, is the uh, genius AI researcher at Meta at Facebook, uh, (laughs) uh, said that Oh, chat GPT isn't particularly innovative. Uh, we've been doing that for years. Oh, I, mean, I think if you're an AI yeah, scientist, sure you know about if Transformers. Had... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which were, and Google basically yeah, yeah, invented Transformer technology. Uh, right, this, is, this is what Lambda did. Yes, right? they did. Yeah. And Meta has done some Absolutely. cool stuff and, with and it, look, too. But it also is feeling a little bit like sour it. grapes, right? It's like, oh, no, we did well, that. I was just going to say, <laughs> sure you have, but you didn't productize it. You didn't it. tell anybody. Okay, you, you yeah. know, like. Right. You, did, you didn't productize it. Like, I don't think that anybody would make the argument. I don't think Sam Altman or anyone from OpenAI would be like, oh, this is the most innovative thing and no one else has done this. I think what they would say is this is the first time that the public has actually been able to interact with it in a way that had yeah. a really good user interface. That's what Lacoon, thought was a brilliant user interface. That's what Lacoon that's what said. He, misses, he said right? ChatGPT is, quote, well put together. He said that compared to okay. other, other companies in the field, OpenAI is not particularly advanced. Google Meta... And he said half a dozen other startups have equivalent technologies, um, but that's the difference. They were doing this in public and letting the public use it. Uh, although it makes me wonder, is there something better under the hood somewhere else? Well, GPT-4 apparently is an enormous advance over 3.5. Mm-hmm. Well, which- Sam Altman, the CEO of yep. OpenAI, said, don't get your hopes up. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, AGI, right? It's not a general artificial right. general intelligence. Meta actually did put out a uh, AI chatbot a, a few months ago, um, and they immediately got flack for it. Um, Didn't it get you know, racist instantly? Being racist and anti-Semitic yeah. and so yep. forth. So, and uh, so they they were they tried to be bold, but they weren't quite as bold as ChatGPT. So they didn't get as much credit, and they got a lot more flack about it. I think par- partially because Meta is the kind of company that's going to get flack no matter what it does, which is not true of OpenAI yes. at least yet. <laughs> I've been using um, a search engine that was founded about five years ago by 
former Google uh, search executives called Neva, N-E-E-V-A. Are you familiar with this? I read a big story on it. Oh, in fact, um, that's oh, how oh, I learned, learned about it. And, uh, yeah, the CEO is a former uh, top guy at uh, YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and he got a little bit um, depressed about um, the monetization of search. The insertification of Google. He worked at Google, so he, he went off to do a, a, a search engine with a paid model. And the, Yeah, that's the premise. We don't run ads. We don't. Ha In fact, even when Google started, Larry Page famously wrote, uh, a, a search engine can't have advertising or it will then become beholden to the advertisers. Um, they only held that off for a few years <laughs> before uh, getting involved in advertising. So I pay five bucks a month for Neva. Um, I get a lot of, they actually give you a free one password account and, and other stuff. But um, I think it's really good. And also because, you know, they're in this uh, arms race, they added a AI generator at the beginning of search results. So I searched for chat GPT and Bing just now. And this is the result I got from the AI. I think AIs are very good at synopsizing and summarizing other content. So they even do footnotes to say where this information come, comes from. CNET, The Guardian, Observer, and The Verge. Microsoft is reportedly integrating AI technology such as ChatGPT into its Bing search engine, which could potentially revolutionize search as we know it. This technology is capable of generating a wide variety of text in human-like ways in response to written prompts. Microsoft hopes to launch this feature before the end of March... In a bid to make Bing more competitive with Google, I think Google should be scared, not just by Bing, but by Neva. I think this is pretty cool. Uh, the only down, I've been using Neva full time instead of Google everywhere, including on my iPhone for about a month uh, now. The only negative, the only hit on it is it's amazing how quickly Google comes back with a result. Neva, there's a palpable second or two. But other than that, the results are excellent. I love this AI thing. And there's no ads. It doesn't favor Google content over anybody else's content. Um, I think there, I believe there's a dash of Bing in Neva's technology, along with some of its own technology as oh, well. Oh, is it interesting? They, they, I right. believe they've licensed some data. Okay, yeah, they have their own crawler, right? Yes, um, I think they they kind of mash together some of their own stuff and some stuff they've licensed. And I don't know what this thing is, but it's pretty cool. There's a little slider here at the top. I don't currently showing top news from all sources. Currently showing top news from all sources. I don't know. There's some something going on there that I can move around that slider. There's it's uh I think it's very innovative. I, I'm you know, I'm have no relationship with them. In fact, I meant to ask you about this because I did read your article uh, about it. You talked to them. You think they're pretty compelling? They're smart folks. They've added a lot of stuff since they launched. It's which, brave which to say we're going to go against Google. Yeah, I mean, they're a tiny company. Um, but maybe, you we, know, we've now. All, we've all been used to getting our search free for the last 20 years. Um, but I think if there, is a, if there is a time where we're at an inflection point where the idea of going up against Google no longer sounds quite so insane, it's now. Although, of course, Microsoft is probably in the best place to take advantage of this inflection point, given that it's already a large company with a large search engine. Although I am curious how they could shortly roll out ChatGPT as part of Bing just because of this issue with accuracy. Yeah. Uh, I think the way Neva does it with the footnotes is uh, the only way you could do it, right? Because, uh, and this is the difference between that knowledge graph in Google, which is almost entirely from Wikipedia almost always and is never sourced. Uh, at least Neva says, you know, where this stuff came from. I've, I've found it actually quite useful. I'll ask it. 
you know, kind of technical questions like coding questions, like what, you know, describe Dijkstra's algorithm. And it does a really good job. It's, it's quite, this is exactly what chat GPT uh, should be uh, good at. And nevertheless, uh, to beat Google at its own game is not, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe now's the, now's the time to do it. Um, this is, this is your, your article from uh, last June. Yeah. Soon before last. To, oh yeah. 2021. That was right when they were first launching. Yeah. Um, I hope they do well. I'm very, it's very, it's an interesting bet and I love not having the ads in there and I just hope they continue to be kind of, um, agnostic, you know, uh, not picking sides. I don't, I don't want them to be, them to be a Bing licensee or a DuckDuckGo licensee. They also, by the way, when you install it, they install a, a tracker, which an anti-tracker uh, tool plug in, in your browser, which shows you, uh, uh, what trackers are on fast company. There you go. Not bad. Uh, there are far worse. Let me tell you. There's somewhere there's 30 or 40 trackers on a single page. It's kind of uh, kind of amazing. We were trying to make our pages meaner and leaner uh, just because that makes them run faster. Yeah, kind of load and fast. Results in happier users. Yeah. Um, all right. Want to take a little break. There is a lot more to talk about. We've got a great panel. I couldn't have a better panel for this conversation. Tim Stevens is with us now freelance and doing great. He's driving his way home on uh, Substack at timstevens.substack.com. Uh, he is also on Mastodon, on the uh, mastodon.social, uh, but still says a little bit, a little tiny bit of Twitter in there, too. Thank you, Tim, for being here. We appreciate it. Harry McCracken. Thank you, Leo. The Technologizer, global tech editor at uh, Fast Company. We, we started putting people's Mastodons up on the uh, screen. I think there that's There we great. go. I think that's great. You can't add anything more because it's like two seems to be the maximum. Yeah. Well, we got your Twitter and your Mastodon. Not so my you, post, though. There you go. Are you on post as well? I have an account, but I haven't really been using that see, yet. I, I don't, see, to yeah. me, going to post is like not learning the lesson of Twitter. It's like, oh, good, let uh, Mark Andreessen uh, run everything, right? No, I don't. I think it's better to be. I love the idea that we can go somewhere that is not owned by somebody, right? I really like that. And if you if you suddenly are you're on Twit Social, our Mastodon, you hate the way I'm running it. You go somewhere else, you know. That's easy. Uh, also on the on the a new Mastodon user and more more than welcome, Christina Warren, Film Girl. And are you using Film Girl? You are at Mastodon.social. I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm I'm at I'm a Film Girl. I might wind up switching to another instance at some point because the Mastodon. You're on the big one. one. Is so big that there can be. Yeah, there can. I've had the account since 2018. I don't know. I I, I um. I had it just to have it, but uh, it's I'm, pretty I'm, easy I'm, to. to it's instance. easy to move your followers. Uh, it's hard to move your toots. You can do it, but right. uh, most of the time, I think the stuff that you have tooted or tweeted, the old stuff, eh, that you know, that's water uh, uh, under the bridge. Start fresh, but you at least can bring your followers with you. It's very easy to do that on uh, Mastodon. I uh, I I like our uh twit social uh because it's you have to be a twit listener to be in there so it is a community you're on harry's on sfba which is for san francisco bay area mm -hmm. people the local timeline really gets a uh, a point of view if you choose wisely when you're on somewhere like mastodon.social is just like a mini twitter basically it's everybody who uh didn't didn't look farther than the the biggest instance and it's also pretty big now it's well over a hundred thousand people so that could be yeah. good. Or the people who signed up in 2018 yeah. when they didn't have a lot of these other things. Right. There and was no Twitch social I, I'd actually back then. Also, yeah. 
I was also on a, um, a, a smaller one, um, uh, XOXO.zone for uh, my favorite, my very favorite conference, XOXO. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I did migrate, but I, I never used it. So I did go ahead and migrate the followers that I, I'd amassed there over to, um, and there was some, some overlap, I'm sure, but I did um, migrate those followers over to the, the, the main account that I'm on. But, um, and, and that was actually seamless. I was worried about what that process was going to be like, but it wasn't difficult. So that, yeah, that, that's good news. Um, I've done the same thing. I was on Mastodon.social way back when, when it was the only Mastodon instance. And uh, when I started my own, I migrated over to uh, Twit.social. I also have something on PixelFed, which is a Fediverse, uh, not Mastodon, but kind of Instagram clone. And I really like it on PixelFed.social. Uh, I really like it because uh, it's Instagram like it used to be with just a bunch of photos. Golly, whoever thought of that? What? <laughs> no reels? No dancing uh, chipmunks? What? What kind of? What kind of place is that? So, um, and and one of the nice things about Ivory and these other clients is you can uh, you can actually have multiple accounts in your uh, client. So you can have your photos on PixelFed and your toots somewhere else. Our show today brought to you by our good friends at Worldwide Technology. Worldwide Technology is at the forefront of innovation. We love these guys. We had, it was actually the last trip Lisa and I took before COVID. We went out there in March of 2020 to visit their advanced technology center. Wow, is that cool. You guys probably remember in the old days, Ziff Davis had that big testing lab in Foster City. And that's why PC Magazine could test 100 printers because they had the, the capability of doing that. You remember that. Well, that's what the ATC is all about for enterprise technology. That's, that's Worldwide Technologies uh, business is enterprise technology. They created the Advanced Technology Center to try to research all of this great technology out there for enterprise. It now has... All the technologies from all the leading OEMs, including some of the big new disruptors, more than half a billion dollars in equipment. It started one rack in one building. It spread to four or five buildings now, many, many racks. But here's the great part, and I really honor WWT for this. They don't keep it to themselves. Sure, their engineers use it to spin up proofs of concept and learn about new technologies and so forth to help their clients. But they also make it available to you. The Advanced Technology Center... You don't have to go to St. Louis. You can use it anywhere in the world. They offer hundreds of on-demand and schedulable labs featuring solutions that include technologies representing all the latest, the newest advances in cloud and security, networking, primary and secondary storage, data analytics and AI, DevOps, and on and on and on. It is, it is not just for those great WWT engineers and partners. It's for anybody. It's free to anybody who wants to use the ATC platform which means your evaluation time can go from months to weeks. Your knowledge level can go through the roof. You could test out products and solutions before you go to market. But it's more than just the labs. You can access technical articles, expert insights, demonstration videos, white papers, all the tools you need to stay up on the latest enterprise technology. They also have a great community. In fact, when you go to the ATC platform, check out WWT's events and communities Learn about technology trends, hear about the latest research and insights from experts. Not only is the ATC that physical lab space in St. Louis, and if you get a chance to see it, do. It was the most amazing thing, but it's completely virtual, so you can use it. If you're on the ATC platform, anytime, anywhere in the world, 365 days a year. 
Whatever your business needs, this is the point. WWT is the best partner for anybody using enterprise technology. Worldwide technology can deliver scalable, tried and tested, tailored solutions. Because WWT understands it's a, in business, technology is not for technology's sake. It's there to support your business strategy. WWT brings strategy and execution together to make this exciting new world happen. To learn more about WWT, the Advanced Technology Center, to get access to all these free resources, very easy. Go to WWT.com slash twit. WWT.com slash twit. Create a free account on the ATC platform and, and learn and, and explore and grow and use these technologies the way they're intended. WWT.com slash Twit. These guys are the good guys. These are these are the guys you need as a partner. WWT.com slash twit. Ah, let's see. Oh, I do want to do a quick plug for our uh I think it's the last chance to take the survey. Yeah, we have only two days left. Uh twit.tv slash survey twenty three. We survey our audience once a year. We don't want to spy on you. We don't put we can't put trackers in a podcast. It's RSS. But We'd like to know more about you. Our advertisers would like to know who they're, who those ads are going to. We can't compete with people like Spotify who will spy on your every move and know who you are and all that stuff. It's the survey is our only tool, but it helps us a lot. So it should only take a few minutes. It's completely optional, of course. Answer any questions you want. Twit.tv slash survey 23. Uh, I want to get every, I want to get people from every show participating, though, so we know uh, about you know what we're doing and whether it fits your needs twit.tv slash survey 23 last chance don't put it off and we thank you in advance uh some really interesting uh, news from uh the department of justice there was a ransomware gang called hive ransomware has become a plague obviously it's really a problem although i saw that uh the revenues and they they know this because they can look at bitcoin uh transfers we're significantly down in 2022, and the thinking is because people aren't paying. It's not that ransomware is not hitting yeah. you. It's just people have said, screw that. We're not giving you any money. Maybe they've got better strategies for uh, mitigating a ransomware attack. But also the DOJ is going after them. Uh, this was a press conference from Deputy Attorney General Lisa Omonico. Uh, it turns out, I think this is fascinating, that the U.S. had infiltrated... The FBI had infiltrated the Hive ransomware group last July. And as a result, under the, and maybe this is why ransomware is going down too, under the, un, you know, under the covers, that's not quite right, uh, officers were able to warn victims of impending attacks in secret, saying, hey, psst, watch out, they're going after you. They also got decryption keys. And they were able to hand out more than 300 decry decryption keys to people who had been hit by the Hive ransomware, saving them more than $130 million. Uh, the U.S. estimates Hive and its affiliates, it's one of those ransomware-as-a-service uh, companies. I don't want to use the word company, but that's kind of what it is. Collected over $100 million from more than 1,500 victims. They went after, and this was their mistake, hospitals, school districts, critical infrastructure in more than 80 countries around the world. One hospital was left unable to accept new patients because of Hive. Uh, they worked with the UK's National Crime Agency uh, and other law enforcement agencies around the world to help victims. 
Uh, in the UK, 50 organizations were given decryption keys. And on Thursday, the uh, FBI shut it down. They took Hive's website and communications networks down with the help of police forces in Germany and the Netherlands. That is a successful uh, attack on the attackers. Um, I don't know if they arrested anybody. I don't see that. Um, And that's the problem because uh, as uh, the head of intelligence at Mandiant, John Hultquist said, until you arrest them, they're not going to be gone. It's like cockroaches. They just move somewhere else. Uh, It'll slow them down. If if, uh, you went to the Hive Cruise website, you would see this notice from the FBI. This hidden site has been seized (laughs) Uh, with lots of badges. This is not, Hive was not the biggest of the ransomware gangs. Uh, there are bigger ones, although Revil, which was perhaps the biggest in uh, 2020 and 2021, did get arrested around the world. So uh, this is good. Dark Side was taken down in June of 2021. This is good. This is what it takes. Uh, let's see, what else? Intel. You want to talk about Intel? Eesh. Not a good quarter. For Intel, the worst beating in over a decade, Andrew Orr writes from Apple Insider. <laughs> They're maybe a little happy about a little happier than they ought to be about this. Thirty-two percent drop in revenue since uh, year over year, since the holiday quarter of last year, twenty twenty one, actually. Um fourth quarter results coming out, revenue fourteen billion down thirty percent year over year. Uh uh Entire year revenue down 20% year over year. This goes along with drops of 30, 40% in uh, PC sales as well. So it's just been a bad year for PCs. Does that mean anything, Harry? Well, um, I think Intel has known and acknowledged for a while now that it's in this rebuilding process after falling way behind other chip companies and that it was not going to result in uh, fantastic numbers immediately because um, they have to get back to where their process is um, competitive again with, with other technologies. And um, I believe they've said that maybe by year after next, um, they think they'll be in a place where the technology is um, great again, and which is maybe as long as they give um, Pat Gelsinger, their CEO, time to get there, maybe that's when we can really judge them. And, and if the numbers are still this bad, then it's a really bad sign. But, but I think that at least as of when Gelsinger started, um, and I, I wrote a feature about him last year, the board had given them quite a bit of runway, understanding that it was going to be difficult and there would be more bad news before there was any good news, although they may not have anticipated the degree to which the PC business would be so crummy. And I think I think pe- people and companies may just um, be postponing PC purchases because everybody's so cautious about the economy this year. Yeah, everything's down. It's not just PCs. Plus, we bought a lot of PCs during covid Right. People have right. Re- relatively new, nice computers now in a way they didn't before the pandemic. Right. And if you look at like the increase in, in, in ships, you know, between like 2020 and, and, and now, not to say that like the some of the gains haven't been impressive, but if you're not an enthusiast, you're not actually going to really notice, uh, I think, for a lot of people. And, um, you know, it, it's increasingly looking more and more like what was happening you know, all that excess buying in, in, in 2020 and, and even a little bit into 2021, 
was a combination of both uh, the supply chain, um, you know, maybe even making more of a frenzy because people couldn't get things, people having to work from home. It's an anomaly. And I think to then, uh, as, as a lot of businesses did, try to base it as like, well, this is the new baseline was clearly a mistake um, because that's, you know, has has not continued. And and, and I, I think that with the, uh, I guess, being able to kind of look back, we can say, no, well, why would we have expected those trends to continue, you know, year over year? Because that's just not not uh, consumer buying patterns um, in, in the last decade or so. You know, we haven't seen that. And so, yeah. We have been saying for a while the end of desktop computing. Um, but I think it's, what do you think, Tim? Is the end of desktop computing exaggerated? I, I, I definitely think it is. I mean, I think we've got a long time to go before that, that ends. Certainly, people's usage patterns show that they're shifting away from desktop computing. If you look at overall utilization, you know, what devices they're consuming content on and cre even creating content on. But if you look at overall uh, time, uh, I think that number is going up and desktop usage is probably staying pretty much static for the past few years. So, so yeah, I think we still have a long way to go there. But um, we, if you also look at the number of layoffs that we've seen lately, I mean, that's a lot fewer corporate laptops that are being needed and certainly with nobody hiring that means yeah. that there are fewer laptops being needed there too and if you do get hired now i think there's probably a pretty good chance you're getting a hand-me-down so you're gonna I think get joe's laptop but we fired him last night yep. and, uh, yeah and yeah sorry joe <laughs> uh god twelve thousand uh layoffs at google um i mean uh -huh. it's just been tough we had on on wednesday yeah. on twig we had just completely a representative because i think what you know we talk about these layoffs and I think uh, tech industry, since uh, the beginning of the year, 200,000 jobs lost. We talk about that in this just kind of abstract numbers. I wanted to bring a face to it. So we had Richard Hay on. He was a Google engineer, had been an engineer for 17 years at Google and was one mm -hmm. of the people just summarily dismissed, kind of abruptly uh, lost his job without any warning. His boss didn't even know ahead of time. And I wanted just to kind of bring home the face of it because these are that's 200,000 people. Uh, with families, uh, with bills, with mortgages, with rent, and uh, and and they don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. That's a huge hit, and I don't want to dis you know diminish it in any way by just talking yeah, raw numbers. It. You know, yeah, uh, it, it really is a shame how that has to happen these days. Like the, the corporatification uh, of layoffs is really tragic and, and nauseating. Honestly, you know, having recently been through that myself, uh, how depersonalized it, it has been mandated uh, that you, you cannot have any empathy. You cannot talk to anybody about the situation. Um, you, you are very restricted in what you can say when you can say it. And, you know, as someone who was uh, tried to be an empathic leader, someone who, you know, treated his employees like his friends to have to go through that is really, really oh, difficult on so both hard. sides of, oh, of the, the uh, equation. So yeah. I, I don't know where this pattern came from or why it is um, almost legislated into corporate law these days, but it, it is really disgusting that, uh, that that is where we've gotten to a, a point now where your ability to be an empathic leader has to end at the time when it's most important for you to be an empathic yes. person. I worry that uh, Elon Musk sent set the bar so low for being oh, yeah. empathetic yeah. or just decent to the people who work for you that uh, if these large companies beat Elon, they figure that, that it's okay. But I mean, there were stories about Google employees who, who came into work and waved their badge to get in and either it turned green and they were able to go in or it turned red and they knew they had been laid off and that's how they got the news. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't understand what the excuse Ugh. is for that. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's no, I mean, yeah. There's, there's, there's no good way to do layoffs. Is, is the reality. Um, but there are, there are ways that you can do it worse, right? And um, I, I agree. Like, for all the excuses that, and this has been a thing I think I've, I've noticed because I, I first was seeing this in media where um, people would find out sometimes that they were laid off by losing access in Slack, and then people would disappear, and it would be like you know, like the snap. And, and you were like, what happened? You know, uh, it brought back PTSD one day when people lost access for Slack for a completely unrelated reason. And everybody yeah. freaked out. They were like, <laughs> we'll just, what does this mean? Just fired. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you do this for, for the automation reasons. Oh, we don't want people to have access to things. It's like, okay. If, especially for people who are, you're paying a certain amount of money and who you have worked for you for a certain amount of time, it's like, have some freaking humanity. You know, there's a way to do it. There's a way to to take access away that doesn't mean that someone is entering the office at 7 a.m., hasn't checked their email, their personal email, doesn't know what's going on, waves a badge and and finds out that way. Like that, that's just it's awful. Yeah. And um, there are better ways to do it. There's no good way to do it, period. But there are ways to do it that are are worse than others. Uh, somebody in the chat room just told me that uh, Chris Bona, who is one of uh, the founders of uh, Floss Weekly, great friend, uh, is also an ex-Googler. He was mm-hmm. a director uh, of open mm-hmm. source uh, at uh, Google. I did not realize he had uh, lost his job as well. So uh, I didn't either. That's yeah. that's a massive loss for them, and that's a massive that's a massive concern for open source because of all the work and money and resources that Google has given open source mm-hmm. projects over the years. Um, sponsoring conferences and, and other things. Um, that's been a discussion that has come up in the last couple of weeks was with these big layoffs is what does that mean for the open source ecosystem? And I don't think that it's a wrong one because budgets are tight everywhere. And these are things that, you know, we, that some people in the open source movement don't like to acknowledge, but a lot of the money um, and and um, a lot of the funding really does come from these corporations, whether you're comfortable with that or not. And if those checks yeah. go away, like, what does that mean? Because the this sustainability in open source has been a really big topic for the last number of years. And um, uh, corporate um, goodwill is, or, or, or corporations paying their own way for services and support is one thing. But, but the goodwill aspect, which has been increasingly a thing that we've seen happen, like, I, I can see that potentially at some places, you know, going away. And that's, that's, really dis- discouraging and and uh, i think it have really negative consequences because um people haven't always wanted to maybe acknowledge how much of, of a role um those those checks and that funding can really play for a lot of small projects microsoft also laying off about uh, ten thousand uh workers and this is the thing you know you go i'm sure you do this too christina you go and you look and you just check and see oh gosh and i'm sure there's corporate uh you know slacks and stuff that you can go to and See who's there. Apparently, uh, at Twitter, there were you know these salute icons as people yeah. uh, dropped off the face of the earth. Uh, Microsoft's well, quarter. Was, Go ahead. No, I was going to say. I think that what made it it hard for for Microsoft and I'm sure for Google too is everybody. You know, a lot of people working from home, and so yeah, there were, were a lot of you Just know kind of shadow groups of people. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, yeah, you don't know, but people checking in with one another. I mean, that's what I was doing. I was checking in with my friends at Microsoft. 
Um, I'm in a, a few group chats and, and that's what I was doing. And then, you know, checking Twitter and, and seeing, you know, when some people were, were, were laid off and, and whatnot. And, and when you're talking about numbers this big, it's not about performance. Um, it, it really is, you know, decisions made usually about entire divisions. Just slash divisions. Areas. Yeah. One of the right. stories, and I, again, I hate to, I'm not going to put you on the spot. You don't represent Microsoft by in, in any stretch of the imagination. But one of the things that we did learn is that Microsoft's VR, AR, HoloLens division suffered massive cuts. Um, and and that sounds to me like a, a, a more of a strategic decision to, to not pursue those areas uh, and instead of making hardware to, to make their software available to companies like HTC and, and Meta that are going to make the hardware, and Apple, one imagines, that are going to make the hardware uh, and then, you know, make the productivity software for that hardware, which actually probably is a better bet than, than putting all your chips in on uh, on uh, legsless, uh, sexless people wandering around in a low poly count. Microsoft world. also um, to take Corey's <laughs> <laughs> pros. Yeah, uh, Microsoft also gave up on AltSpace VR, which was right. a um, a startup they had acquired they'd a few acquired years it. ago. Yeah. So it was a platform. So I mean, I would be cautious about assuming that Microsoft doesn't have any AR VR slash metaverse platform ambitions forever but but if they do maybe this seems like a little bit of a reset and um, sure doesn't sound it, seem, like it. Yeah. it seems perfectly sensible at this point to um redeploy some of that mental bandwidth and resources into ai which so clearly is going to have so much impact starting at this very moment as opposed to the metaverse which is still a um maybe at some point and maybe not to the degree we expected kind of thing isn't it risky though to chase the flavor of the month because i mean that's why they chased vr true Although, I mean, I, I don't know, I mean, for all the reasons to be cautious about AI, I, I think even if it's only 5%, as impactful as people expect, that it's going to be incredibly important. There were a lot of reasons to think VR, AR was not going anywhere from day one. I mean, that 11% of the people who used it were nauseated is a pretty good indicator that there's going to be, this may not be the mass appeal product. You hope it will be. There's some, if you want to have magical glasses that look like these, but have great battery life and fantastic Well, that's displays. Apple's plan, right? But, Spectacles. Well, they gave up on that too. There, I mean, yeah. there's just, there's some fundamental pieces of technology we have no idea how to build so far. Right. right. We know how to do AI. How do you get the some. battery life? Yeah, exactly. Right. Chemistry moves uh, at a glacial pace compared to a digital stuff. That was one of the stories from the week. Uh, Mark Gurman saying Apple is going to push off its, you know, spectacle-based AR vision for at least a couple of years to 2025, if not later, because they can't get it working. Uh, even their headset, which they're still rumors are strong, they're going to offer for three thousand dollars this year, has a battery in your pocket because it's too heavy to wear on your head. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think there are some fundamental technical issues with we, the problem is we all read the same science fiction stories by William Gibson and Neil right. Stevenson. We all we, want this. We all want to jack into the metaverse. We all want this. <laughs> but yeah, well, it's not sci-fi. I, I mean, I mean, I mean the battery, no, the battery thing is one of the biggest ones. I mean, I, I've been a proponent of, of going nuclear, uh, for a decade at least. You want a little um, nuclear know, power plant in your head? I mean, honestly, I would trust it more than lithium ion. Yeah. If, if you look at the safety record, I honestly would. Do we um, have that technology? That, that, I know we have pocket nuclear reactors for power, but pocket means I don't think the size I, of this room. I, not, 
I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we do or not. And my, my point is more like, I wish that we'd have been investing more over the last decades in, in looking at that as a power source than in some of these other things, because I do think that then that in my mind, that's the only way you can get the long lasting battery life and uh, the, the microization that you'll need for these things. But uh, I, I just don't think it's going to be possible with, with, Lithium polymers. I, I just don't. Um, people I'm not sure that physics and chemistry. Uh, that yeah, I understand, but, but I'm just not sure people are anxious to wear a nuclear power plant hat. You're, you're not wrong, <laughs> but but again, I mean, maybe it needs a rebranding. I'm just saying, like, the, the brand, don't call the it the nuclear the hat. Just, okay, that's a good that's right. A good don't call start. it the nuclear hat. I'm, I'm I'm just saying, like, it's it's a branding thing. But like, I, I think that the technology, like, that's. It's obviously the one of the only solutions that I can think of that we already have, um, because solar is certainly not going to be fast enough or powerful enough to, to do that sort of thing. Our uh, our listeners in Australia are probably aware of the fact that the uh, uh, a, a tiny cesium one thirty seven capsule uh, went missing on its way to Perth this past week. Just one. It's. Uh, let me see if I can find a picture of it because it's it's so small. They're, they're warning the public not to touch it, but it's so small. I don't know, even know how you would find it. It's about the size of uh, one of those little lithium ion batteries that you put in your uh, in your uh, uh, pocket. Uh, here it is. Here's the size next to a Australian uh, something <laughs> ten ten pence piece. I don't know what that is. Uh, six millimeters by eight millimeters. If you see it. Uh, don't, yeah, don't touch it. Don't pick it up. Don't Just, taste it. Yeah, it's like your guys are too young to remember. My when I was a kid, there were constant ads not to touch blasting caps. Do you remember, none? None of you remember that. Do you remember that, John? No. Blasting caps. <laughs> that was like maybe that was a major problem. I know, kids. If you see this, don't touch it. Well, kids, if you see a six millimeter by eight millimeter shiny <laughs> silver capsule, it don't touch it. It could kill you. <laughs> could kill you so do you want to wear that on your head i don't know to christina's point though we haven't seen any real progress in alternate sources for power in a while i remember at ces about a decade ago there was like a hall full of um portable devices for hydrogen power basically so you could have a fuel cell in your laptop or on your phone even and there was so many different vendors it seemed like it was just a couple of years away yeah and then i'm guessing they started popping you know exploding in people's pants and that was probably the end of that but um <laughs> we haven't really seen anything since then uh so certainly solid state batteries are, are just around the corner i think we'll see those soon those will will provide a pretty big step forward in terms of charging speed, discharge speed, and will help to reduce the overall volume of a given capacity of battery. Um, but really, you know, like I said, Leo, chemistry happens slowly, and there really isn't any kind of shot in the dark that's coming soon for portable devices. For cars, you know, supercapacitors and things like that, I think we'll have some big gains in a decade or so. But there's nothing like that coming for um, smaller stuff. Yeah. Microsoft's quarter was not great. Revenue is up 2%. Profit down 12%. This primarily i think due to this pc uh, drop off um both below wall street expectations um amy hood microsoft's chief financial officer said new business slowed in december but it expects and it expects growth to continue to slow in the current quarter which ends march 31st uh on the other hand i think microsoft is very well positioned this open ai investment is looking very smart right now Clearly, uh, if AI is taking off, businesses like Azure are going to do very well. Nobody wants to invest in the storage and the and the uh, TPU capacity that's required for 
learning big sets of uh, data. Uh, so they do it often in the cloud. Uh, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, all benefiting for that. Um, so I, you know, I think I would be bullish about Microsoft, Christina. I think you're you're in a, and certainly about GitHub. GitHub passed 100 million developers this week. Yes, yes, that was very very exciting news. Um, uh, 100 million developers and uh, a couple of years ahead of schedule. So the goal had been 2025. Um, we were able to hit it, you know, early 2023. So very, very exciting um, about that. And uh, when you kind of look at the trajectory of how many um, developers have joined the platform, even in like going back to 2016, like it's it's really ramped up. And I think it's because uh, it what's one of the great things is is that the definition of developer has has changed. I think in a really important way. And and so people who are working on uh, working around code or, or making contributions that might not be, you know, code focused can still use platforms like GitHub. Um, you know, the the kind of the, the rise of kind of the, the lower code, you know, movement around people who are building, you know, business applications and doing other types of things where you see a lot of data scientists and, and other people doing really innovative stuff. But again, in their mind, you know, 10 years ago, they might have said, oh, I'm not a developer. And now you can be like, no, you are. Uh, this, the stuff that you're doing might not be code in a traditional sense, but um, it definitely, um, uh, you know, is, is impacting things or in some cases is absolutely what's, code. What's the weirdest uh, thing but, people are using GitHub for? I, maybe that's a loaded God. question. I don't know that. No, it's interesting because, well, I mean, people. So it's not all code. I mean, I know novelists and no. writers use it. Right. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. You know, like we have this. We have this product called uh, GitHub Projects, and which is like a you know kind of project management stuff. And you will see people who will just use it to just manage their life, like to to just have it as like a very organized kind of to do list thing. And and uh, that's really cool to see. But as you see, yeah, novelists, people who use it for writing, yeah. I think that is definitely a really cool way. Then we also see you know it used in in really interesting ways. You know, like by you know people in. Uh, you know, NASA and, and in other organizations, it's interesting to see a lot of uh, the data science stuff is really interesting because you can see people putting their Jupyter notebooks and their other kind yes. of output there. Yes. That I think is actually really great. I think seeing uh, notebooks has been such a great uh, feature to uh, to happen. I think uh, in in code for a lot of reasons. And um, as we've gotten better support for that stuff within GitHub, I think that's been a really cool thing to see the the, the data sets. And, and that stuff that people have used, I, that that's really awesome to me because those are things that wouldn't fit with a lot of traditional code things, but is a really great way where um, we had an incident, um, uh, I think it was last year, where we got rid of one of our original um, short uh, URL shorteners. And and we did it because the, the code behind it was was really antiquated and, and it hadn't been um, upkept. Um, but we had to wind up migrating um, a lot of the the URLs over and kind of keep them working because it turned out that there were a number of academic papers where people had used the URL shortener, which would just go to a GitHub repo in their academic papers. And that's always really interesting to see how many people will put the full data sets and, and other information of academic papers on GitHub repos. That's always really cool to see. Somebody has got a open AI, open AI chat GPT prompt for a link bait article better github with this one weird trick <laughs> i think i think we should write that right now somebody will come up with that totally write that uh somebody i hugely admire one of the most famous programmers in the world peter norvig he's a a scientist uh, at uh, ai scientist at google 
uh, uses uh, Jupyter Notebooks on GitHub. Um, I follow him uh, because I do the advent of code coding problems, and he does these every year. And, of course, here's one of the best programmers in the world. This is what a Jupyter yeah. Notebook looks like on GitHub. He's got cartoons. He's got code that runs. He's got results. I mean, it's amazing. He's even got visualizations in here because mm -hmm. Jupyter Notebooks, uh, which is just one of many kinds of notebooks, but Jupyter is probably the most popular, allow you to run code and write text so you can... You could do true literate programming. I think this is fantastic. I I am so impressed. I, I think to this. me this is a great use of GitHub. I mean, this is actual Python code that runs. Exactly, it's, yeah. and it's such a great it's such a great teaching tool. Um, you know, honestly, like it really is. I think one of the best ways to teach stuff, and and so using that with Advent of Code, and that's beautiful. That's Isn't that really, great? Really cool to see. He, and, it, and it's I loved it. It's marvelous to look at his code because it's a. a clear and it is a little terse but it's very clear and precise and uh and inspired i mean it's this is this is a guy who speaks code and uh it's so fun to uh, to look at this i always wait until after i've tried to solve the problem before i read his his post he also has got somebody doing cartoons <laughs> and all this this is a github uh, page this is a, a repository which is pretty darn cool if you ask me uh, anyway, Microsoft tough, tough quarter, but I think uh, the market rewarded uh, missing uh, its targets with a four percent bump in the stock price because I think of the future of AI, and everybody knew that this PC slowdown uh, was going to hit Microsoft just as much, if not more, because of course they make the operating system for most of these uh, computers. Um, so I think you're at a good company. I would, if I were you, Christina, I would keep that job. Just my advice. To you. I mean, definitely, I, 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 that's definitely the plan, right? Yes. Like, I don't have, like, you know, everybody, everybody is, is it, there's uncertainty everywhere, but that is, that is definitely the plan. I definitely um, feel very lucky to Good. be at GitHub. Good. And um, yeah. Well, we love you, and you could always come here if you needed to, but I don't think I could pay you anything like Microsoft oh. pays you. So. <laughs> well, but I, 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 I appreciate it. Just so you know, the, you know, bring your shoes, come on over. Me. Yeah. I will bring my shoes. I'll come to Petaluma. Okay. What's your, I, I what's your it. new that, kick that kicks? Better. What's your, what's your hot new kick? Anything exciting? Oh, okay. So I don't, yes, actually I got, I did not, uh, I don't have them in this room with me. They're in the other room, but I um, went to Vegas last uh, week with my mom. I took her to see Adele last weekend. It was amazing. <gasps> oh, how fun. Best time. Oh, how fun. Um, yeah, my mom is, my, my mom has never been to Las Vegas and I haven't oh, been wow. for a non-work related reason right. in, a really long it's time. a very different so experience it a, isn't it when it you're not going to, to the convention center yes. every day all day <laughs> honestly it was it was it was like a completely different thing for me we had such a great time but um uh we were staying at the at, at the plaza which is part of the venetian and they have a, a big mall and um then there's like the, the win and the encore next door and um anyway i went into ferragamo and i bought a pair of uh, ferragamo sneakers i will put them in the chats they are great but that is my that, that is my new okay. Can um, I, I shouldn't, this is gauche of me. How much were they? Can I ask? Um, 800. Yeah. Well, that's not bad. Everything at Ferragamo starts at 800. So you really, really got a deal. I think. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I got the low end. Well, here's the thing. There was a pair I liked that were a little bit more expensive. They were still within my budget of what I would have spent, but I'm a five and a half, which the, the, the salesperson, um, had never seen someone with feet as small as mine. Tiny little, I have so, tiny little feet so, too. Yeah, I don't know what that. I feel like I'm just going to fall over in a in a stiff wind. So uh, yeah, yeah. 
All right. <laughs> we're going to take a break. You go get those Ferragamos if you want, because we're going to talk about our sponsor. Thank you, ACI, for sponsoring our studios for the year. Uh, ACI Learning, you say, well, I don't know them, but you do know the name IT Pro. For the last decade, our partners at IT Pro have brought you engaging, entertaining IT content to level up your career, your organization. Uh, in fact, I think uh, a great many of our Listeners are IT Pro members. Uh, there are 227,000 people in the IT Pro community. That is a great learning community, many of them Twit listeners. Well, IT Pro has partnered now with ACI Learning, which really expands its reach. This is really good news for all of us. Uh, expanded production capabilities. Uh, ACI Learning is has expertise in not just IT, and of course IT Pro is the best, but they also have Audit Pro. So audit readiness is a big part of IT these days. They can help you there. They also have a cybersecurity division, which is the best. They have even learning hubs where you can go and learn in person, which for some people, at least part of the time, is a valuable adjunct to the online learning that IT Pro is famous for. One of the most widely recognized beginner certificates, the CompTIA A+. Cert. I know many of you in IT, that's where you started, right? That desktop support cert. CompTIA courses with IT Pro from ACI Learning make it easy to go from being kind of a daydreamer about getting that career in IT to actually having a career in IT. Earning those certs is really the requ the most important thing to do to get into an entry-level IT position. You don't have job experience, right? You don't. You can't say, well, I did this and this. But if you've got that cert, they know you've got the skills, the qualification. And it gets you started to move on in your field. And that's what IT Pro from ACI Learning is so good at. Uh, tech is one industry where the opportunities now are outpacing growth, especially in cybersecurity. There are more than a million open, unfilled jobs in cybersecurity right now. A recent LinkedIn study predicts IT jobs will be the most in-demand roles in 2023. Don't waste time. Get going. This is a career that will reward you. It's it's fun. You're already interested in technology. About a one-third of the information security jobs require a cybersecurity certification. About 23% of IT jobs require that, but, but a third require of cybersecurity jobs require a cert. Organizations are obviously very hungry for cybersecurity talent. But they want to know that you've got what it takes. The average salary for cybersecurity specialists, $116,000 a year. ACI Learning's Information Security Analyst and Cybersecurity Specialist programs can help you get that money. Get certified. Get that job. Last year, the global cybersecurity workforce gap grew bigger, not smaller. It increased by 26.2% over 2021. There's a job out there waiting for you. ACI Learning offers multiple cybersecurity training programs that can prepare you to enter or advance within this exciting industry. The most popular cybersecurity certs, uh, not in any particular order, CISSP. Uh, I love, and this is the one I want to do, EC Council's Certified Ethical Hacker. <laughs> I just thought that'd be great to have CEH after my name. Certified Network Defender. There's a cybersecurity audit school. That's a specialty that is going to be in huge demand as people need to prove compliance to customers, uh, to uh, higher-ups, uh, to regulators. Very important job. Uh, learn cybersecurity frameworks. They've got great classes in that, too. 
When, where, and how you learn makes a big difference. ACI Learning makes it easy. They offer fully customizable training. No matter what kind of learning you learner you are, you know, some people really want to be in the classroom, in person. Some people are really more comfortable remote. Some people like it live remote. Some people want it on demand. ACI Learning has it all. Explore what ACI Learning offers with IT Pro, Audit Pro, which includes enterprise solutions, webinars, and their great podcast, the Skeptical Auditor Podcast. They've got practice labs so you can get hands-on just from your own home in a browser. They've got learning hubs where you can actually go in and get in-person instruction. And they've got their partnership program, too. This is really an exciting move for IT Pro. ACI Learning, a great partner. I'm very excited. Tech is the one industry where opportunities outpace growth especially in cybersecurity. One-third of information security jobs require that cert. Get the cert, get the job. To maintain your competitive edge across audit, IT, cybersecurity readiness, visit the website go.acilearning.com slash twit. You got that? And please use that so they know you saw it here. That's important to us. Go.acilearning.com slash twit. We also have a great offer code. Thank you, ACI Learning. Use the offer code TWIT30 for 30% off a standard or premium individual IT Pro membership. 30% off TWIT30 at go.acilearning.com slash TWIT. Uh, IT Pro has been such a great partner for us since they started back in 2013, and we're thrilled to welcome ACI Learning and IT Pro into the family. Uh, thank you for supporting the studio and supporting what we do. We really appreciate it. All right, let's see those kicks, Christina. Christina's new kicks. Uh, these are, ooh, ooh, yeah. yeah. What's that logo? Is that a Ferragamo? What is that? I guess so. I'm not even sure. I, I, I did like how it looked. Um, yeah, and then, cool. but I really liked the, 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 I really liked the back, which is like this, uh, this black and white polka, polka, polka dot dots. Thing. Yeah. And, um, and again, <laughs> like I'm not defending. Are you ever going to wear them the, the or are you, are you just going to put them on the oh, shelf yeah. and sell them to somebody else someday? Oh no 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 no! I wear my shoes. I don't. I don't buy them for the resale value. A, um, my foot is so small that no one's going to buy a five and a half. <laughs> no, it, exactly right. Like that. That's 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 it. There's a very small number of people who will be able to wear my shoe size. No, I buy them to wear. I have them on the back wall. Because, I know. I see know, them, I, and I can I, see the soles the are yeah. used. You are not one of those people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just puts a no. shoe on a shelf. No, I mean. Let's it suffer in silence. And oh. I have some, fr I have some friends who do that. That's not me. For me, I'm like, no, shoes are to be worn. Fashion is to be worn. Like, don't don't hoard it in that way. Because if, if I if I spent money, even if it was fifty dollars on a pair of shoes, and then never wore it, like that's I don't know, that's a waste. Yeah, I agree. You buy it to enjoy it. Yeah, I uh, I am wearing a uh, 49ers uh, jersey, which is now for sale, uh, cheap. If anybody. <laughs> No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I bought no, Lisa's birthday today and our anniversary, so she got a lovely birthday present. But I bought her a, you know, our our young star quarterback, the rookie, Mister Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. I brought her, bought her a, a Brock Purdy jersey to wear during the big. There's a big game today for those of you. Who I learned know. about that. Yes, you didn't know at first, though. <laughs> Sport ball. What is that? So I bought her a Brock Pur Purdy jersey. Uh, but see, I now, Marie, you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. I thought, what size should I get? And then I said, I'm getting the small, right? Because if it's too small, that's fine. 
If I got large, no, that would have been bad. So a little husband tip, start, start with the smallest size, whether it's a shoe or a shirt, start with the smallest size. You can always return it and get the next one up, which I, I'm going to have to do because she's not that small. Uh, she is. She's tiny. I thought it would fit. Uh, but I guess women's small is pretty small. It's probably, you know, the equivalent of a five and a half shoe. <laughs> so I did something really gloomy last night. I watched a movie called To Leslie. Anybody see that yet? I haven't yet. It's on the list, though, for sure. No, I haven't. No spoilers. Yeah, but, every, but every, every, everybody started talking about it, and then it got all the nominations. That so this is, sus, this, is, but, uh, this is proof that Twitter for all its problems, still is very powerful. Normally this time, or actually last month in December, you see, especially in Los Angeles, which is, you know, it's a company town, uh, billboards, ads in every magazine, TV ads for your consideration. Movies that they want the members of the Academy to vote for, to nominate for Best Picture, Best Actor, because it makes a big difference in box office, right? So there was a tiny little movie... It only made $27,000 at the box office called Two Leslie. The movie company could not possibly afford even one billboard on Sunset Strip for your consideration. But somehow they got every mainstream A-list actor in the world to tweet something just like this. This is Edward Norton. I don't post a lot about film or actor performances. Maybe I should more often. But for those interested in really great acting, I'll share that Andrea Riseborough's portrayal in Two Leslie just knocked me sideways. It's about the most fully committed, emotionally deep, and then there's a dot, dot, dot. I don't know. Maybe there's more. Oh, here it is. Physically harrowing performances I've seen in a while. Just raw and utterly devoid of performative BS. It's tough, but really elegant and compassionate film by Michael Morris, where the emotion is really learned. I happened to catch it, and wow, I was really three tweets staggered by the depth she reached. Very rare. Check it out. But turns out it wasn't just Edward Norton. It was pretty much everybody in Hollywood tweeted this this was a mass twitter campaign to get this actress who's frankly not well known uh an oscar nomination clay planchette steven spielberg oprah happy birthday oprah meryl streep daniel day lewis martin scorsese but brian Rowe pointed this out on twitter all used this exact phrase the greatest screen performance in the history of the cinematic medium Hmm. Marie, you work in PR. Do you think that was a coincidence? <laughs> and was that the greatest performance in the history of the cinematic media? It was a... Okay. There's no lie there. Oh, you watched it too, Ant. It was a really good performance. It was amazing. Uh, she got a nomination for Best Actress, beating out some uh, people who everybody thought were shooing, including... Uh, Viola Davis for uh, Wakanda, and uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Queen, right? What was the name of it? Woman King. Queen King. Woman King. Uh, apparently great. I did not see it. Uh, and then there was Till, and the actress in Till, who everybody thought bo both actresses snubbed by the Golden Globes and now snubbed by the Academy. But this very little-known actress with a film that made $27,000... Got all of this attention and got a nomination. That's the power of Twitter.
right? You didn't need a billboard uh, on Twitter on and. Go ahead. Well, it was Twitter, and then it was also um, didn't like a Ed Norton and didn't some other uh, celebrities didn't they have like screenings yeah. for Academy Awards? Yeah. So Jennifer Aniston says, "Come over to my house, and we can watch this fine movie." To Leslie, <laughs> who's going to turn that down, right? Um, distributor Momentum Pictures did not have any money to mount a campaign. Uh, Riseboro was not nominated in the Golden Globes or the SAG Awards. It's basically a word of mouth campaign. Um, kicked yeah. off kicked off two days before Oscar voting began, too. It was a late entry. Uh, Very late 10th. campaign. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, e even though obviously it was like, you know, getting the, the voters to, to see it, but the, the Twitter thing, you're exactly right. Like, I am, um, and I followed this stuff for a long time. Um, they didn't have money for a campaign. So this is a really interesting, I think, example of, of the right connected people stepping up and using social platforms to, you know, highlight something that otherwise would not have been getting this sort of attention. Um, whether or not, you know, it, it she's going to win or not, it, it remains to be seen. But that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty fantastic. Here's a here's a tweet by Crazy Cons. He tweets something weird is happening. Here's Mia Farrow. Here's Meredith Vieira. Here's Joe Mantegna. Mm -hmm. And by the way, all of them say a small film with a giant heart. A small film with a giant heart. A small film with a giant heart. Delay Hill. A small film with a giant mm -hmm. heart. I do want to congratulate Mark Maron, who is uh, billed as an executive producer, probably because they couldn't pay him for it. But, right. But he's a well-known podcaster, uh, does the WTF podcast, famous comedian. Uh, I feel like he's one of our own. Uh, he has a very yes, large definitely. role in it. He's quite good. Didn't you think Mark Maron was good in it, Ant? Do you know even know who he is? He was the guy with the beard who did the... Yeah. And then the other guy who was in it is Bubbles from The Wire. And I'm watching this guy, and I'm saying, I know this character. Who is this actor? Remember Bubs in The Wire? He was the kind of strung out, junky uh, informer that was actually, you couldn't take your eyes off him when he was on the screen. He's in it as well. It, Aunt, what was your, uh, give it a, a, out of five stars, how many? Three and a half. Three and a half. Uh, I give it more than that, but it, it's it's very grim. Uh, dark. It's dark. And then it has a, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. Uh, it's just too dark. But you guarantee, I guarantee you that this suddenly is going to make millions of dollars, right? In streaming, you can stream it on all the major streamers. And also yeah, open up I questions. Mean, I mean, I'm, I'm going to. Sorry, go ahead, Christina. No, I was just going to say, I, I'm definitely going to be streaming it. I, I meant to watch it this weekend, and I didn't have a chance. Um, I but, made a point yeah, of watching um, last night, so I'd be ready for today. <laughs> it's good. I'm glad I watched it. I mean, it's no Wakanda forever, but, you know, it's okay. And it's raising questions about the ethics of these campaigns, and there, there are rules about what you can and can't do with these campaigns, but they may not have anticipated um, the Twitter era and um, this campaign, which if it was based primarily on Twitter, didn't cost anything, but it was apparently extremely effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and it shows you the power of, of, of well, coming over to Kate Blanchett's house is one. Uh, that's the yeah, big thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I also, mean, I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, also, yeah. honestly, that's the big thing. The last, last one I can remember that I guess was similar to this was the, uh, the campaign for, uh, for Frozen River um, with oh, yeah. uh, Melissa Leo and that was nominated for best picture. And that was a very small film. Yeah. And Melissa Leo was nominated for best actress. Uh, she won the following year, uh, for best supporting actress for, um, uh, the fighter. Um, and, and I don't think she would have won 
had she not, right. uh, you know, been in Frozen River the year before, even though the fighter had a very large campaign behind it. I, I think that Melissa Leo won um, because of the, the Frozen River campaign the year earlier. Um, but no, but it's interesting to, to see. And, and you're right, um, Harry, like there are ethical things, but at the same time, yeah, they're all using the same language because some PR person sent it to yeah, these some, there, there was somehow, or Clay Blanchett wrote to everybody saying, here's a suggested tweet. I mean. <laughs> and then everybody just copy pasted and, and just did the same as, you know, you do the, the Instagram like influencers, right. like the Kardashians oftentimes would just copy the entire prompt, including the stuff they weren't supposed to copy and they post it, you know, on their <laughs> accounts. Um, but I mean, you know, uh, I don't think this breaks any of the rules. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you having, if, if a very famous and influential person decides to have other people, voters over at their home to watch something, I I don't think that breaks any rules. Maybe, maybe it should, but, but I don't think it does, you know? Or maybe just like everybody knows Andrea Riseborough and thinks she's really wonderful. Now I'm learning she's English, which does impress me more because she didn't play an English character in there. She plays a, a Southern character. Um, she, that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. She hasn't done a lot. She was in some movies I've heard of, but never saw like nocturnal animals and the death of Stalin. And uh, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing. What were you going to say, Harry? I think I said it. Oh, you said it already. Okay. Um, by the way, it's the, the character who played bubbles in uh, the wire is Andre Royo. I want to give him uh, credit. I have not seen him uh, ever since, <laughs> but uh, he was, he plays Royal in the movie. It's worth seeing that for Mark Marin and uh, Andre Royo. You know, if nothing else. And yes, uh, Andrea Riseborough's uh, uh, good. I was, as I'm watching it, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. I'm thinking, don't do that. Don't do it. I know they're going to do it, but I don't want them to do it. And they did it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't know. That's not, that's not a spoiler. Hey, by the way, there are so a couple of cool things we didn't mention with GitHub. I just want to mention there's now a, a Copilot paintbrush, right? That you paint your code, and now you can say, "Hey, GitHub." Yeah, that's wild. So you can, which is which is fantastic. So you can, say, if you've hey, got GitHub, carpal you know? tunnel or something, you could just say, "Hey, GitHub, write this login code yep. for me. I'm I'm too tired. Oh, it wants me to log in. Okay, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Hey, GitHub. Yeah, it's code. very cool. Import pandas. Import graph plotting library. Hey, GitHub, insert new line. Get Titanic CSV data from the web and assign it to the variable Titanic data. Holy cow. From Titanic data where age is null. Fill null values of column fair with average column values. Drop duplicates from the frame Titanic data. Hey, GitHub, new line. Plot line graph of age versus fair column. Change to scatter plot. Show plot. <gasps> Hey, GitHub, exit code mode. Hey, GitHub, run program. Oh, my God. That's pretty impressive, that demo right there. It's writing Python uh, yeah. code. No typing involved. Uh, that's a very, this is a very common kind of uh, data uh, query for data scientists. Um, and you don't have to type all those brackets and tabs and semicolons. Exactly. It just and does it. And and what's what, the impressive thing with that is that there are obviously there's been a lot of text to speech technology for years that's very good, but it has not worked well with with code because 
that's it's so specialized been what it's designed yeah. for and and exactly and and like when i when i was uh hit by the car um five years ago and um i, I broke my my wrist my primary hand like typing was for when I, before i i was in a cast when i was kind of traction was impossible and um it made coding basically basically impossible. And I was using a lot of, you know, uh, text to speech stuff or, or, or voice to, to text stuff rather. And, um, code was, that was the biggest challenge. Yeah. And so when I looked at, Hey, GitHub, I was like, okay, not only is it so cool that you can just speak what you want it to do and it can, it can write it the right way in natural language. But the fact is, is that you can say things like new line, or you can say, you know, in, in, in pandas and other things, and it's not, uh, getting confused because it's, it's been trained for, you know, this specialized thing, as you said, which is kind really of awesome. amazing, kind of incredible. Um, interesting story about, uh, ADSB. So I had never heard of ADSB not being a pilot, but if you heard about the Elon jet tracker, that's, was using ADSB, which is a database. It's actually technically ADSB exchanged. Uh, and it was kind of like IMDB or uh, Wikipedia. Uh, it was created by users. And the reason it worked is because uh, jet airplanes, have, all airplanes, I guess, have transponders transponding their tail number and their location as they fly around. That's how they know where everybody is and air traffic control uses it and i imagine other planes use it well it turns out if you're an enthusiast you can also have a little receiver on the ground and monitor all the traffic going ahead and then if somebody were to write a way to aggregate that data onto a map and you had enough people with those little receivers all over the world you'd have a pretty good tracking uh, map of all the flights well that's what ads adsb exchange uh, was but and i say was because it was owned by one person uh, a lot of people contributed but dan strufert founded the site and was the sole owner of the site and he sold it to jetnet which was by the way owned by get ready a private equity company uh and at this point, there is a little rebellion going on, including by the guy who does Elon Jet, who uh, said, I'm not going to use this data anymore and I'm not going to contribute it uh, to it anymore. Uh, it's understandable. I mean, the server costs, the hosting costs were expensive. ADSB Exchange couldn't really monetize very well. It's free to use, but they used advertising and then they had a kind of higher paid tier. Um, but it's, you know, still an expensive thing to run. And and so at, at some point, Struford decided that he was going to sell it. Jack Sweeney runs, runs the Elon Jet Twitter account, said today is a sad day. Uh, if you feed ADSB Exchange, we encourage you to stop feeding. ADSB Exchange was founded on the principles of hobbyists, community, not for-profit private equity firms. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, within a few hours uh, after the sale became public, the 11,000 feeders, 11,000 people running these receivers, uh, dropped significantly to 9,500 people in a span of a few hours. I don't know where it stands right now. I'm not an expert on this, but I'd be very curious. 
uh, to see what happens. Um, one uh, one user said, "Flight aware, flight radar, win. Elon wins. All the guys who are out to get us win." So you know, remember the saga of you know Elon Jet and Elon chasing it off Twitter, and he went to Mastodon, and then Elon blocked every Mastodon mention on Twitter. There was a there's a final uh, line in that story. It's kind of it's kind of sad. Wednesday, uh, they announced that they had been acquired, kind of like IMDb or uh, CDDB or all these other. Fortunately, nobody's acquired Wikipedia. I hope not, and no one can acquire Mastodon. Again, this is the argument for these distributed uh, places. Uh, JetNet is owned by Silversmith Capital Partners. They were acquired last year. The acquisition is the second of what the company anticipates will be several future acquisitions as JetNet expands its data-driven product offerings for the aviation industry. So you got a problem there if you've got volunteers freely uploading this data and suddenly you make a killing selling it and this private equity comes along. You need the volunteers, don't you? <coughs> Anything to say about that or should we move on? Oh, I mean, I'm sort of sympath- I'm sort of sympathetic, I guess, to, to the volunteers. At the same time, the jets tracking stuff. I know it's legal. I, I'm not arguing the, the legality at all because obviously you have to be able to. The, the FAA has to be able to know what planes are in the air, and I, I'm not questioning any of that. But I do think the jet tracking stuff is gross. I do. Yeah. Well, I understand. You know, honestly, I understand Elon's point. I mean, uh, but I mean, it's not exactly assassination coordinates. And Sweeney could have done some things to no, protect I'm, Elon, like delaying the tweet by an hour or two to right. give Elon and, and, a chance and, to move and, on. And, 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 I, I'm not. I'm not saying that that it was assassination thing. I think that was a little hyperbole. People in fandoms, like teenage girls, have been doing this for years for their favorite pop stars, and it's gross. It was gross then, and they would you know put stuff on Twitter and on Tumblr and whatnot. It, it's gross now. I, I do feel for, I guess, like the aviation enthusiast community who feels like this thing they've been contributing to has now been yeah. sold to private equity who will be making money off of it. But at the same time, like the data is either open or it's not, you know what I mean? Like you can create your own thing, but I mean, this is, this is public data for a reason. Um, I remember watching you know, uh, Gaga's, I, what I, Gaga's movie and I just watched Taylor Swift's Ms. Americana movie. And the thing that I really sticks in my mind is these poor people go out of their uh, doors of their apartment and at any yes. time of the day or night there are hundreds of fans standing there waiting for them they have to have big security guards just to get them to the car and barriers right. and it's and i right. I'm, I'm, and I'm starting to read i'm much to my chagrin uh prince harry's spare and it's somewhat the similar situation it killed princess diana right well, and, and the, the way that a lot of the paparazzi finds where the, the celebrities are going to be is is that they track their jets because a lot of them have, if they own their own jet, then it's registered. If they are simply renting one, um, then then it's harder. But like, you know, Taylor Swift owns her own planes and now she's doing the thing, I think, where she like hides um, the, the registration, which you can do a certain way. People still her fans are insane. And, and, and I say this as a big Taylor Swift fan, but not one who uh, appreciates or, or encourages any of this. Cause I think this stuff is just gross and disgusting. The, the K-pop fans are, uh, are the same way where they will literally track exactly where 
people are at all times to try to know and and put it up on the internet and like not realize and then, then they get mad about the paparazzi you know stalking their their favorite stars it's like how do you think they're figuring out exactly where they're landing you know and then showing up at private airports or or you know god forbid they're having to fly commercial you know showing up literally a baggage claim you know outside LAX like that's that's because people are doing things like this and and they're they're tracking their every movement and yeah. there's something uh there's something gross about that I, and again i think that's i'm not trying to say that everybody in fact most of the people part of this community are not involved in that at all <laughs> but I, I i do think that you know when we have those discussions and again i, I don't think that calling it assassination was in any way correct but there there is this very gross aspect of of for very for high profile people have, having no privacy because you have really obsessive people out there who are tracking their every move and then in turn passing that on to you know people who are then going to take photos to sell for lots of money yeah um i know that Taylor Swift, let me see if I can, I don't want to jeopardize her safety. I feel bad for her. I feel bad for anybody in this situation. She uses face recognition at her concerts uh, to find the most. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say she did, I think, in the last concert. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think they said. Because they know who these that. most dangerous um, stalking I don't remember showing my face. So. Yeah. Oh, you don't. Well, but they don't need to, they don't, you don't need to walk up to a camera and smile. They see you coming in. Um, and yeah, and- I guess so. I guess, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I was just in my mind, I was, cause I saw, I remember at, being at the concert and seeing, you know, the, the signs up, but I, I don't remember, obviously there wasn't anything when you entered where you had to like scan your face. No, no. They, they just look at the crowd. They just watch you coming in and they have, apparently they have face recognition data for people who are considered threats and, you know, I'm more power to her. I, I don't blame her for doing that. I don't blame her people for doing that. Uh, because her life is at risk. It's a shame she has to. But it does raise some interesting questions. So there are big signs saying, what, you're being, your face is being captured? Yeah, something like that. I took a photo of it. I'll have to find it. I, I don't have it off the top of my hand, but I did take a photo of it when I saw it at the um, Seattle uh, uh, Reputation Tour concert. I'm I, it, I'm sure it was at the one that I saw uh, in in New, in New Jersey as well. Um, this was in 2018, so it, uh, which was the last time she toured. But yeah, there was something like that that said that you know that there you know your photo uh, may be used you know by by that by being at this concert like you've consented you know to, to your photo being used you know in a database for for whatever the purpose might be. Um, which you know fair enough if if it's something that if you want to attend this concert, you have to, to make that trade off. I'm, I, there are plenty of people I'm sure who would be like, well, I will never go to a concert that does that. But um, I obviously, so many people have my face, my face is in so many databases. I, I wanted to see the concert. So apparently they put rehearsal clips up on a kiosk and then people would go over and That's look. That's what it was. They would go over and look at That's the clips. Sneaky. And there was that's a camera was. inside the display taking their picture. Right. But that's what it was. And then, yeah, it was this kiosk thing. And then there was a sign on the kiosk that told you what it was doing. Oh, my God. The images, this is from Rolling Stone, which broke the story. This is back in 2018. The images were being transferred to a Nashville command post where they were cross-referenced with a database of hundreds of the pop stars, hundreds of the pop stars, known stalkers. Um. 
everybody who went by would stop and stare at it, and the software would start working. <laughs> and uh, and presumably, uh, if you were one of those people, uh, some big burly guy with a walkie-talkie would walk over and say, excuse me, sir. Now, this is relevant to today because it's been happening, and we've talked about this before, at Madison Square Garden. The Dolans, who own MSG, and, and Madison Square Garden owns a bunch of other stuff. Radio City Music Hall. Well, this happened first at Radio City Music Hall. A mother with her Girl Scout troop went to see the Rockettes for the holiday show and was informed as she enters, nope, sorry, lady, you can't come in. Had to wait outside out front while her girls watched the Rockettes, found out it was because she works for a law firm that has a lawsuit with MSG. And apparently the Dolans have been doing this. MSG has been doing this to any lawyer that has anything going on with MSG. They have face recognition and they will lock you out. Or just if you work for a law firm that also has other lawyers oh, su- yeah. suing them. The mom said, I don't know anything about this. This is not my, I don't, I'm not suing them. Uh, sorry, lady. And, and of course, James Dolan, who gave a fairly fiery interview about this a couple of days ago, uh, says that's all right. It's a private uh, institution uh, to which the uh, liquor licensing authority in New York says, well, not exactly, because when you have a liquor license, there are caveats, uh, covenants, things you agree, including being open to the public. You can't have a private liquor license. So there is uh, some question. In fact, New York State Attorney General Letitia James is paying attention, investigating. New York State legislatures have introduced a bill that would ban face recognition in sporting events. Uh, and now the Liquor Authority, the New York State Liquor Authority, SLA, is saying your liquor license is in jeopardy. Dolan gave an interview Thursday, uh, a fiery, I'm told, I didn't watch it, interview with Fox 5, Channel 5 in uh, New York, <laughs> in which he uh, defended his family's right to block anybody we don't like from coming in. Uh, and, of course, uh, Madison Square Garden is the home of the Rangers hockey team and a couple of lawyers. Now, we would mentioned earlier, you don't want to get on the bad side of lawyers because <laughs> they will sue your ass. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think there probably will be some lawsuits. Dolan says, well, all right, Liquor Authority, you watch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a day and we're not going to serve any any beer at a Rangers game. And then see how you feel. Whoa. And I think he said he was going to give the phone number of the liquor authority. Yeah, you call him. Fan, uh... Yeah. He doxed him. He actually gave out the number on the TV. It seems incredibly petty and uh, a great way to get bad publicity without really accomplishing much of anything. So I understand why Taylor might do this at her concerts. In fact, it's sad that she has to. Uh, but I understand why. I don't think James Dolan really has to. Uh, block lawyers from coming no. into Rangers games. No, no. I mean, I think it's one thing to be like, okay, we have. Uh, I mean, she's had people like show up in her house, like yeah. when she's not there, and like take showers. And I mean, it's awful. And she has very serious, mentally disturbed people after her. Totally get that. It's been another thing to be like, oh, uh, you work at a law firm that's involved in litigation with my company, so you're banned from entering the premises. I mean, a that's really concerning that you have like the facial data of everybody who works at that law firm. Like that's, that's concerning right there. And then B it's like, really, really? So they can't even come see the Rockettes. Like, 
what, what does that have to do with anything? Here is, uh, I, I, we, we don't have to zoom in on this, but here's a little uh, thumbnail from YouTube of Dolan holding up the name of the SLA's chief executive and his phone number <laughs> and his email and his picture saying, uh, I'm going to put this uh, wherever we uh, sell alcohol. I'm going to put this up in the... Uh, in the uh, stadium. I can't imagine all that many people siding with him. Wow. No. 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 Uh, New York State Senator who represents the part of Manhattan that, that Madison Square Garden is in described Dolan's interview, according to the Washington Post, as a public meltdown, called him the poster child of privilege, who re- receives, and this is an important point, a $43 million a year tax break from New Yorkers, uh, as is often the case with these big... <laughs> Sports venues. Yes. Mm, sometimes face recognition gone wrong. Sometimes, most of the time. Again, Taylor Swift seems to me the only actual legitimate use of this uh, because you got to protect Tay Tay. I'm sorry. That's just, you know, not okay. She's all right. She's doing okay, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's a good movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it. That's the thing now. Everybody has to do this. Selena Gomez. Gaga, I think, I don't know if she started, Madonna started it, didn't she? And then uh, Gaga. Yeah, she it. really did. It was, it was Truth or Dare. Yeah. Truth or Dare. With Warren yeah. Beatty hanging around the dressing room. Saying, what are you doing it's tonight? Amazing. You, you want to go out after the show? You want to you have, have a drink? You want to hang out? Huh? All right, one more break. Uh, then we are going to uh, wrap this puppy up. But it's such an important advertiser. I want to tell everybody, you got to get Bitwarden. Bitwarden is my choice for password manager. I know a lot of you uh, followed our advice. I'm sorry. And went with the other guys. Uh, That hasn't ended up so well. We didn't know. Honest. If you're looking for a better password manager, can I say, in my experience, open source is always the way to go with anything like this because you know exactly what's going on. If at any point you don't like it, you can fork it. In fact, Bitwarden... A lot of people run their own server with the Bitwarden vault, so it's not on Bitwarden's vault. You can do that with your your uh, your your individual account. That's awesome. And uh, Bitwarden has its own server software, but there's a beautiful uh, Rust fork of it called Vault Warden you can run if you don't want to run that. That's the beauty of open source. Bitwarden is the only open source cross-platform password manager you can use at home, at work or on the go, it's trusted by millions. Steve Gibson, I think he knows Bitwarden's a sponsor, but I know Steve is a pretty independent thinker. He was the guy who turned us on LastPass in the beginning. He moved off LastPass to Bitwarden as well. I've been on Bitwarden for several years. We had been using LastPass Enterprise. We are moving now to Bitwarden Enterprise. Russell started that process this week. I'm really, I'm really excited about this. And I love it because Bitwarden lets you be an individual. I have my individual account, but you can also have an enterprise account. Now, let me explain. Of course, you want to know this. All your data in Bitwarden's vault is end-to-end encrypted. They don't have access to it. Not just the passwords, but unlike some other companies, all the metadata, the sites you visit, when you visited them, all that stuff is encrypted, just like your, your passwords. That's really important. And, of course, Bitwarden doesn't track your data in the mobile app. All it does is crash reporting. If you don't like that, this is where open source is beautiful. Get the F-Droid installation. You won't even have that. Bitwarden's open source. It invites anyone to review library implementations at any time on GitHub. 
You can review their privacy policies at bitwarden.com slash privacy. You can protect your personal data and privacy. You can add security to your passwords. Use Bitwarden to generate strong, randomly generated passwords for every account. If you go to the Bitwarden site, you'll see they have a password strength meter. You can try out your passwords there safely, see how strong it is. They also have, and I love this feature, a username generator. So, you know, when you create an account, you use your email and a password. Well, what if the email you used was completely unique and never used before and will never use again? That's what, the, that's what the username generator does. It generates unique usernames for every account, stores them, and you, of course, you still want to get those recovery emails. So what they do is they work with five, the big five integrated email alias services, uh, our our other sponsor, Fastmail, is one of them. Simple login, a non-addy, Firefox Relay. They just added DuckDuckGo. So you still get the email, but you use an obfuscated address so the company doesn't have your address. This is a great way to increase the security and to make sure that every single login is unique and is never used again. Keep your main email address out of the databases too, right? Uh, and that, and that's an, I, I do that too. I think it's a great reason to use it. It integrates beautifully with Bitwarden and those services and for your business. We're very happy. We're moving to Bitwarden for business. It's fully customizable, adapts to your business needs. There's a team organizations plan that's $3 per month per seat. There's an enterprise organization plan. That's the one we're going to $5 a month per seat. Uh, it's great. You can share data with a uh, privately with coworkers across departments of the company people share passwords we know that they write it on a piece of paper and they say here marie here's the password to the you know the wi-fi no don't no <laughs> don't do that use bitwarden you can securely share those passwords and if you've got a bitwarden individual account as i do it's very easy to integrate your individual account with the with the organizational account without crossing that barrier so your passwords are still separate but you only have one login and there's all your passwords there's also of course the basic free account unlimited free forever unlimited passwords uh, i think the ten dollars a year for premium is worth it just to support bitwarden i'm a big fan i've been doing that for a couple of years family organization option if you've got a family you want to get them all on bitwarden up to six users total cost 333 a month three dollars 33 cents a month i think that's worth it as well and of course, it makes I I've it's so easy to import from any other password manager, <laughs> export out of it, import into Bitwarden. It I I hear from everybody. Well, that was easy. That was easy. The only hard part is changing all those passwords that that other company let <laughs> let out into the open. Bitwarden, trusted by millions of individuals, teams, and organizations worldwide. It's the only open source cross platform password manager you can use at home, on the go, or at work. They've got a command line version for Linux. Open source is a beautiful thing. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan. Or get started for free across all devices as an individual user. Bitwarden.com slash twit. I think the world is converging. I think the world has said, you know what? This is the way to go. It's open source, baby. Bitwarden.com slash twit. Highly recommended. And we thank him so much. Uh, for supporting our show. Uh, when when Bitwarden called, I said, yes, 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 I will do your ads. I will happily do your ads. Hey, we had a lot of fun this week on Twit, and you know what we did? Because we were so worried some of you might have missed some of the exciting moments, we've made this mini-movie 
for your consideration. Watch. I hereby verify that I, Leo Laporte, like the script to create an overdub version of my voice. Why do you want this, Anthony? No idea. What the hell? What the hell? Well, hey, 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 it's AI Leo Leport, the AI tech guy. This week on Twit, <laughs> Mac Break Weekly. Jason has his reviews of the uh, new Apple hardware. We'll talk about that. It's our first uh, Apple Silicon, you know, boring speed bump release, right? Where, not that they're bad, they're remarkable computers. They're just not particularly new. They're just what you expect uh, from last year or from two years ago, I guess. Uh, except faster. This week in Google, Richard Hay is here. He is the face of all of those layoffs. Google cutting 12,000 jobs. Richard, I had, I had breakfast with a friend at Google's by happen, and he said that his boss has hundreds of employees and didn't know. Yeah, my boss, I mean, I and I just had a meeting with him on Tuesday, and there was no inkling <clears> of anything <throat> like this on the horizon, right? So it was, the decision was made on a whole nother level. Tech News Weekly. The Taylor Swift saga continues. Live Nation, Ticketmaster, and a whole lot of angry Swifties. When Senator Blumenthal says that Ticketmaster needs to look in the mirror and says, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me. Uh. Like You don't expect those kinds of jokes to happen at a Senate hearing. There are diehard Swifties that are watching this hearing and... These aren't people that are typically like, yeah, let me tune in to Senate.gov slash whatever. Um, It's me. Hi, I'm the real Leo. It's me. (laughs) Okay. It still has a way to go, I think. But that was that was pretty good. Thank you to Anthony Nielsen, who snuck in here to just read this, if you don't mind. And uh, boy, that 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 was that's scary. That's terrifying. So. (laughs) Christina, it's completely coincidental, but two, not one, but two Taylor Swift stories in in one episode. No. Just for you. Which is very exciting. Just just for me. Uh, I should point out that if anybody, um, I'm going to put a link in it, both in the Discord and the IRC. I found this this week, thanks to Mastodon, thanks to uh, Jeff Atwood from Coding Horror, uh, who um, there's a mashup of Where's My Mind from the Pixies and Antihero from Taylor Swift, and then it's edited to include both Fight Club and the um, <laughs> anti-hero music video. It's it's A, the baseline fits perfectly. It's one of the best uh, like mashups I've heard in a long time. And B, the video editing is superb. So if you're a fan of Fight Club and Taylor Swift, which I know is a Venn diagram, which might just be me, this is everything you've ever wanted in your life. It's fantastic. Small group of people. But it's so good. <laughs> um. There was actually, we didn't do it as a story, but Alex Lindsay sent me a link to a Billie Eilish song that somebody used AI to replace Billie Eilish's voice with Ariana Grande's voice. Have you seen that? Huh. I probably can't play it. I probably shouldn't play it. Let me see if I can uh, find the link. Um, It's on YouTube. It's It's the song is Happier Than Ever. Should I play it? Well, I get now. Do I get yeah. taken down if I play a Billie Eilish song with Ariana Grande singing it? I don't think so. <laughs> Who would sue? <laughs> Hang on, let me ask my AI lawyer over here. What's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Hang on. Um, it's actually it's interesting because uh, it gives you some idea of what can 
what could be done. Let me play it. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Is that weird? Because I don't know the uh, Eilish Oh, song. my God. No, no, I do. This is amazing. It really sounds like Ariana Grande. It really does. Uh, like, Ariana never it, sung those, wow. sang those words, and uh, I guess they just took a Billie Eilish audio and applied Ariana Grande's prosody to it or something like that. And Go ahead, YouTube, sue me. <laughs> I, I did ask the AI lawyer, uh, and yeah. it says it is possible to get sued for playing an AI revision of a song on YouTube if the revision infringes on someone's copyright. Copyright laws vary by country, but in general, creating an AI revision of a song that incorporates substantial parts of the original song without permission could be considered copyright infringement. So go after so, this sorry, Tears Hero guy, not me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he's a guy. He's a guy who did this. That's kind of wild. I think we're going to see AI is. This is, you know, I'm happy because I was tired of saying things like Elon Musk ruins Twitter again. And I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking more about what AI can do. What AI can ruin from now on. Yeah. Let let AI ruin it. Nobody will defend AI, I'm I'm guessing. Tim Stevens, I appreciate all you do, and I'm so glad that you have landed successfully at Substack. Tim Stevens.substack.com. Now we got to get you to write more for it, right? How, how long have you been doing it? Uh, I, I launched a couple of weeks after I left CNET, so I've been um, trying to do about a post a week, give or take. But uh, that's really just kind of um, a place for me to air my thoughts, that kind of thing. You can definitely check me out on uh, Jalopnik, uh, Road and Track, Motor Trend, TechCrunch, uh, a bunch of other places as well. I've been really fortunate to have a lot of great assignments, and there's a lot more good stuff coming up, too. Good. I'm really pleased. It's always great to Excellent. see. I'm sorry you didn't get to do any ice you racing too. this year. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. All right. Did you do any ice fishing? That's the question. <laughs> None of that either. No. Okay. Uh, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Christina Warren, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for bringing your shoes, your tiny feet, and your brilliance <laughs> to this show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry if we're having uh, audio or video problems, but uh, this has been great. It's been great being on with Perry and Tim, and always love talking about stuff. Always love being on Twitter. Yeah. She's a senior developer advocate, the senior developer advocate at GitHub. Mastodon.social at film underscore girl, our newest Mastodoner. And Tim Stevens is on Mastodon Social as well. Tim Stevens at Mastodon Social. Harry McCracken, you're also on Mastodon, but you're on the San Francisco Bay Area Mastodon. SFBA.social. That's awesome. Slash Harry McCracken. Technologizer, global tech editor at Fast Company. Can I plug my newsletter again? Yes. I have a new newsletter called Plugged In. Um, you can either go to fastcompany.com and click on the hamburger menu and look for newsletter or just Google Fast Company newsletter and you'll see how to sign up. And it, it comes out every Wednesday morning. Uh, and I really enjoy it. I mean, you I've always enjoyed your writing because you have you. the thing that's great about you, you have a unique uh and I think well-informed take on what's going on in tech. You have a, you know, you've been doing this a long time. I try at least. And you have a voice, you know. Uh, I mean, who else would write, Big Tech's layoff binge stinks <laughs> as a headline. If Macs get touchscreens, Apple's age of intransigence really is over. How many how many writers do you know would have used the word intransigence in a sentence? I actually thought it over and... Um... <laughs> I'm sure if I asked Grammarly, they would have told me, no, people don't know this word. <laughs> I like it. 
If ChatGPT doesn't get a better grasp of facts, nothing else matters. I agree. And uh, nine tech products you found essential in 2022. All of that and more at the new plugged-in newsletter at Fast Company. FastCompany.com. Just look for plugged-in in the hamburger, hamburger menu. And thanks for bringing Marie. It's great to see you, Marie. I appreciate it. Uh, we thank all of you for joining us. We do this show every week, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC on a Sunday afternoon. It's the best way to spend your Sunday with us if you want to watch it live at live.twit.tv. If you're doing that, join us in the chat room, irc.twit.tv. All you need is a browser. But if you have an IRC client, if you're an old school kind of person, you can also use that. We have a Discord, thanks to our fabulous Club Twit members. Club Twit is 7 bucks a month and gives us a little bit of a financial boost, which these days we kind of need, but it also gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows, access to the Discord, where you can find all sorts of fight things. Oh, this is the Fight Club uh, thing. I might play this after the show so we don't get taken down. Christina's Absolutely, but it is very good. Put that in there. See, she's in our Discord. You also get... Shows that we don't normally uh, put in the uh, the regular feeds, like Micah Sargent's Hands on Macintosh. Paul Therott does Hands on Windows. Coming up in a couple of weeks, Wintu Dow's Fireside Chat. Uh, she's, of course, the host of All About Android. Uh, February 10th, Daniel Suarez joins us. His new book is coming out in just a couple of days. And we will be talking about critical mass with daniel and if you're in the club you'll get to ask him questions directly so that's great sam at bulls sam at our car guy will be talking march 2nd stacy's book club we've decided on a book sea of tranquility oh look victor's gonna do an inside twit chat one of our favorite editors victor bognat will be doing that so we and pruitt our community manager has been putting together a lot of events it's kind of like i don't know it's like the 92nd street y for the internet you know come on by Join the club. Seven bucks a month. Look at all you get. Twit.tv slash club twit. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time. Another twit is in the can. Bye-bye. Doing the twit. Doing the twit.